October, October 24th. It'll run through December 1st. It's only six weeks. Uh, $200 in-house, $100 online. Um, but it'll be a variety of teachers. Uh, Bob Hazlett, if some of you know Bob, Bob Hazlett's going to teach. Uh, Todd White's going to teach. I'm going to be teaching. I'm bringing a lady in named Robia Lamort. And uh, I, I've had a chance to talk with her several times on the phone. I'm pretty interested in her coming and being a part of what we're doing here. She's very interested in coming. Uh, was in Hollywood for a while, was a dancer for a guy named Prince, if you follow any of that kind of music. She danced for him for years, and then she uh, went into Buffy the Vampire Slayer and was in some of that for a while, and has got radically saved, and uh, is doing, been doing ministry for about six years now. And some of, the, uh, some of the history there, it's just kind of really, really cool how God will rock somebody's world when you're looking for truth. And uh, I feel like she, she will be a very, a, a very strong part of what God wants to do in the next school. Um, and another guy named Scott Shang. And Scott actually was, uh, is a pastor out in uh, Washington State. Him and I have talked a bunch of times on the phone. It's a church that Todd goes to. And he said, it's just an amazing church. We got talking back and forth. And Scott wrote a book. It's called The Rhema Code. And uh, if, I don't know how you guys do, but if you've ever sat down with a book, I take a yellow highlighter. A lot of times if I got a book, I think it's going to be interesting. And you just highlight the good stuff. So now I have this yellow book. Okay. <laughs> okay. If you all follow what I'm saying, and it's, it's, a, it's all about identity. They're a very strong identity church. And so we got kind of sharing back and forth some different things. And uh, very excited about him coming and being a part of that as well. So it'll be a variety of different teachers. Pastor Dan will not be teaching in, this, in the fall school. Just to, uh, wanted to keep his schedule open to do the traveling thing. He took 13 weeks this summer and, and has spent the majority of that with us here. Uh, today he's in New York doing uh, Power and Love there in New York. It's him and Todd and Bob and uh, Tom Bertolo. Of course, we'll be doing that here in September. Uh, but uh, very excited about the school coming up in the fall. If you want to be a part of that, you might want to mark your calendar, figure out how that might work for you. We're going to kind of go from there, okay? All right, everybody doing good? Commercials are out of the way. Feeling good, doing some neat stuff. Uh, anything on Power and Love? We're good with Power and Love and everything's good there? Cool. Uh, very excited about that. If you, uh, you want to get signed up for that as soon as possible because that's going to be like an amazing time, okay? That'll be a lot of fun. Good. Good things. Uh, I am convinced that God's up to something amazing on planet Earth, and He allows us to be a part of that. And to me, it's just like I've said this a lot, and I really, really believe this with all my heart. This is the most exciting time to be alive on the planet. Um, it might be that you would feel like the idea is, man, I wish I'd have been alive when Jesus was born. You know what I mean? And that might have been a neat time to walk when Jesus walked. But I got to tell you something. I think this is it. I think this is like an incredible time. And part of that is that we're getting a revelation that we haven't had in the past. The, uh, and, and the church is kind of rising up. I'm, I'm going to say the sleeping bride is waking. And that, that, that may be taken wrong. And I don't want anybody to ever take that wrong or anything. But because I'm not trying to, to criticize or look down on in any way, shape, or form what God's done in the past or what the church has done. But there's, a, there's an awakening of the bride that I think is very exciting. And uh, to me, this is like the... We're at the culmination of some of that. And this is just a fun place to be in. So I want to share some thoughts with you today about this. And, and part of it deals with the idea of, I'll go here. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine who's very, very evangelistic. And he realized that churches and ministries all have a personality. 
You know, just like people, churches have personalities. I think you can understand that. And even ministries have certain personalities. Uh, the pastor that's a friend of mine is an incredible evangelistic-minded pastor. Is that okay to say that? Like, you see, the thrust of their church is getting people saved. They want to get people saved. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Don't, don't hear it the wrong way. I, mean, I think, frankly, we should all be wanting to get people saved. I think that's a real important thing. But my phrase to him was, you get them saved and then bring them to me. I'll tell them why they're saved. Okay, because I think we need to understand not only that we're saved, but why are we saved? What am I doing here? And I think for the last several weeks, that's what you've been doing in class is trying to get a handle on pretty much not only the what, but the why. You know what I mean? What am I supposed to be doing? Most of us live in this arena, and I would say this is probably a very true statement in the body of Christ, but a whole lot of us in the body of Christ live in the arena of, God, if you would just tell me what to do, I would do it. If I, if I got a letter in the mail, you know, here's the plan for your life. Yeah. You'd be making a checklist, following down the checklist. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And we'd walk through that the best that we could, trying to make our life look like we think God would want us to look. I, I think that's a true statement. I think there's something very, very powerful to that, that we would do whatever we could to make God happy. Um, and I think that's an interesting phrase in its own right, make God happy like he wasn't anyway <laughs> okay but 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 i want you to think if i can and we'll walk through some of this today is um go to matthew 20 let me read let's start with that let's go to matthew chapter 20 we're going to read a little bit okay uh probably verses 20 through 28 and we're going to talk a little bit here uh and then we're going to jump back and forth between Matthew 26 and Luke 22. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to, we'll, be, we'll be a whole lot of word today, just a lot of going back and forth in the Scripture because that's the way I roll. But I, I feel pretty good about this. Okay. Um, I'm going to start with verse 20. We'll probably break this down while we go, and I hope you're okay with that. But follow with me. He says, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him, and desiring a certain thing of him. That verse stands out to me with this thought in mind. Why was she worshiping him? Because she wanted something from him. Do you understand how much the church goes in that realm? Do you ever think that people sometimes treat you really nice because they have an ulterior motive? Come on. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes people will come up and they, they'll say real nice things to you. They'll be real kind or whatever because they want something from you. Do you know how bad we do that to Christ? A lot of times, um, I want to say this the right way. There's a place where we turn our hearts to worship him simply because of who he is, not because of what he can do for us. There's a place where we understand that we're worshiping him not because of the... I don't want to just go to him with my wish list. So before I come to him with my list, I think I should worship first. I really believe that's where she was. You understand? It says she came and she worshiped him. Then it says because she, really it says she worshiped him. If I can use my own wording here, she worshiped him because she wanted something. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of times we end up in a place of worship because of a place of desire because of a place of need, because of a place of want. And she's worshiping him, and she desired something of him. I almost look at that as a carnal worship, and I don't even know if that's a, a proper phrase. I've never heard those words put together. But the thought in my mind was, man, is there a place where we worship carnally? And it's not because of who he is or because of our, our, our heart cry because of his awesomeness and his greatness, but, but more because of our needs and wants. 
And we've got to be so careful. One of the things that I've, I've felt for years and taught for years is this, and, and I believe this really, really strong, is there's a place where we come to... I believe that God is more interested in the motive of what you do rather than what you do. Do you understand what I just said? The motive behind it is maybe more important than the action that is, that is followed behind the motive. Your motive means everything to God. Where's your heart? What's going on with your heart? What's really going on there? So she comes to him and she's desiring a certain thing of him. He says, what do you want? That's in verse 21. What do you want? What will that? She said to him, grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on your right hand, the other on your left, in your kingdom. That's an interesting verse, isn't it? Grant that my two sons could sit with you in your kingdom, one on the right hand, one on the left hand. That's a strong phrase. So I read that and I think, wow, that's a pretty powerful thing she's asking. Why do you think she wanted that? Is it because out of a mother's cry because she wants what she feels would be the best for her sons? What's the motive behind her desire? She, she, she comes to him, she's worshiping, and she has a desire. What's the motive behind her desire? Grant that my two sons may sit, the one on your right hand, one on your left hand. Why does she want that? What, what does she think that's going to do for them, right? You understand where I'm at? Read the next couple of verses. Jesus said, you don't even know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? That question he doesn't pose to mommy. He's actually posing it to James and John. You understand it's the sons of Zebedee, so it's James and John. They're in her circle. These are the guys that have been closest to him for the last three years. They've been right by his side. These are inner circle guys. So this is Mrs. Zebedee, if I can say it that way. And, and she's brought them up there. Mom's, mom's trying to push her kids to the front. How, how many got a mom like that? Anyway, okay. <laughs> but, but she's trying to motivate that or whatever, call it whatever you want to. But, but, but at that point, he turns to the question and is really faced more to James and John. Are you able to drink the cup I drank of? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Watch what happens. Because he says, he says, they said unto him, we're able. Yeah, we can. I think that's kind of presumptuous, don't you? Like when I read that, I'm like, wow, we're able. We're sure. We can do it. <laughs> that just seemed kind of presumptuous to me that they would even respond that way. Now, what, what troubles me is this. They've spent three, three years with him. That, to me, when I read that answer, I thought, wow, that was really immature for them to even say that. Yet they have walked right with Jesus for three years. I would think if you spent three years walking with Jesus, there's going to be some growth, right? Boy, we just walked right into that, didn't we? <laughs> Y'all follow where I'm at, right? Isn't it amazing sometimes how that sometimes, and I want to say this the right way, but sometimes you'll watch people. I love, for me, this is a pastor's heart, just to talk to you from this. It isn't so much to me, and I want to say this the right way, it's not so much to me whether the church gets packed to the gills and it's just wall-to-wall people as much as the people that I'm watching are growing and, and gleaning and you can see the fruit of their life and it's changing and you see transformation and lives being transformed and spiritual growth happening to me that's the amazing thing it's being able to watch people blossom in their relationship with God and grow I'm thinking James and John they've been with him through I mean through through the big stuff they were they walked they were they walked in to the house of Jairus when his little daughter got up, when everybody else had to stay outside. It was only, it was only Peter, James, and John, right? And, and they're with him on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah, and Jesus is in a glorified body. They're with him. They've seen, they've seen stuff nobody else on the planet's ever seen, right? These are the guys that you would say, oh, I wish I could be them, right? 
And yet the presumption, the presumptuousness, is that the right word? Is it presumption or presumptuousness? Anyway, take that up with your English teacher. Okay, <laughs> okay but, but, but I think they're awfully presumptuous in what they're saying here is we're able. Sure, we can do that. Watch the next thing he says because it's pretty strong to him. He said unto them, you shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. You will, but it might be more than you bargained for. Who's ever prayed and asked God for something and then he gave it to you and you wish you'd have never got it? <laughs> yeah, uh, I've, 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 I've counseled people for years now and one of the things that I've said is be careful what you ask for, you may get it, you know? Um, he just told him, you're gonna get it. You might have wished you wouldn't have, but you're going to be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized. You're going to drink of the cup I drank with. From, you know, and, and these guys are going to die incredible deaths, by the way. You, you do know that. But in the process of all that, as I, as I see this, there's, there's, there's things that are going to happen in their lives that are just going to be incredibly difficult. Yet at the same time, when we, when we study this out and we see that, he said, you're going to go through a bunch of stuff. But he says, here's the phrase that he says. He says, but to sit on my right hand and on my left, that's not mine to give. It'll be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. I'll, I'll talk to you real plain. And probably, probably some of you have seen some of the same things. But I honestly believe the Lord spoke to my heart about this. I had, a, I, had a, I had a Sunday school teacher as a young man that I had elevated onto a very high platform. I felt like, man, this guy, he's got it together. He knows more than anybody I've ever met. To me, he was the scholar in my life when I was a young man, if that makes sense. So if I had Bible questions, this was the guy I went to. His son had, had kind of drifted away from church and was really living in a backslidden state. And I was, I was really challenged by seeing that. The boy's name was Jamie. And... Uh, I knew where Jamie worked, and so I went, he worked at a restaurant, and if you look at me, you can tell I like restaurants, and so I went there <laughs> on a mission for Jesus, okay. <laughs> but, but in that, uh, in that uh, I sat down, and I told him, I said, man, would you get a break? Come over. I want to just talk with you, and I began talking to him about his life and where he was at in God and some things that were going on that were, you know, and I could tell he was in a bad place, and I said, man, I said, I, I know you got the seed in you. I said, I've I said, I've, I've watched your dad. I said, there's so much that is there. I said, and I just want to see you grow with, like him. And he looked at me and he said, that's why I'm not in church. And I said, why? He said, because you know my dad at church, but I know my dad at home. And he said, I got news for you. The dad that you know at church ain't look at all like the dad I know at home. And I said, what are you talking about? And he went on to tell me things. And, and I wish they were fabricated. I wish that he was just angry and making stuff up about his dad, but I found out later to my own dismay that a lot of it was true. and Some of it was perspective, but a lot of it was truth. Y'all follow what I'm saying? In the process of that, as we got a chance to talk and share back and forth, um, I began to think about, uh, about that, and, and it shocked me, I guess I would say. And I wondered then, it, you begin to even challenge the fruit of a person's life and what all's really going on and stuff. And... Uh, I prayed for him. I said, Lord, I, I, I just I want to know that his heart's in a good place and, and that he's going to be okay. 
And the Lord spoke to me in, in, in my heart this way. And I said, man, I said, I want the guy's name. I mentioned the guy's name and then his son's name as well. And I said, man, I want to see them both in heaven. And the Lord's response to my heart was, you may be surprised who you'll see in heaven. And you may be more surprised who you don't. And there's some truth to that. And oftentimes, and I want to say this, this is one of the places we've got to be very, very careful, is that we're not out judging everything all the time. You know what I mean? Because actually the one commandment we probably break more than any other in the book is Matthew 7 and 1. And Matthew 7 and 1 simply says, judge not. <laughs> it's the first two words in Matthew 7, judge not. You know what I mean? And there's a place, and I don't even want to get into that. There's righteous judgment, and there's judgment begins at the house of God. And we've twisted a lot of scripture there, and I won't get into all that. I'm simply saying sometimes we have to be careful in that whole arena. So Jesus is speaking to these guys, and he's saying, you're going to be baptized with the baptism I'm with. You're going to have to drink of the cup that I drank of. But it's not even in my place to determine who's going to sit at my right hand and my left hand. That's up to the Father. You know what I mean? It may be surprised, I'll say this, but we would look at somebody, and let's just say you, you had a mega church with 16,000 people in it, you know what I mean? Well, a pastor in that church would have a, a high place in heaven, you know what I mean? And then you got the little backwoods preacher that might have 31 people that come on a Sunday. But I got to tell you something, the reward in heaven may be higher for the guy with 31 than the guy with 16,000. If you can understand faithfulness and sticking to the call of God and pressing in, there's a lot to that, man. And I, I got to tell you something. There's something about all that. We, we've kind of brought some. I, I think we might be surprised who's sitting on the right hand and on the left hand. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, it, he may have tattoos and purple spiked hair. Absolutely. Yeah. And that'll really freak you out. Okay. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, the Lord, the Lord really whacked me. A couple years ago, that happened to me where I was at a meeting and a guy, a guy was praying for people. It was a very large meeting and it was, on a, it was in an event. And the guy is out on the, in, the, in, the, in the place and he's praying for people and he had green spiked hair. And I was watching, he was praying for people and people were getting slain in the spirit and God was moving. And he had a, like a, it was like a mohawk type thing, you know what I mean? But it wasn't like he still had hair here, but the, but the middle was straight up and spiked. And it had looked like a, what's the dinosaur with that? You know what I mean? The stegosaurus, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's what it looked like. And, and he's praying for these people and they had earrings and whatever. And he's praying and God's just flowing through them and people are being slain. And, and I'm looking, I'm thinking, oh, wow, that's cool. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, 10 years ago, you wouldn't let that man touch you. And that's true. And I thought, oh, God, forgive my heart. You know what I mean? Because sometimes we get stuck. Is that, is that okay to say that? Sometimes we get stuck in that stuff. So you're right. Might be a guy with green spiked hair. <laughs> okay. But, but anyway, it's kind of neat what God's doing, right? It's cool. So things are opening up. But here's what I'm trying to get to. Look at the next things. Okay. Remember that mom had come in and she says something. Let my two sons sit, one on your right hand, one on your left hand. Now the whole crew's still there. There's 12. There's 12. The, you understand that? And she's made a presumptuous statement. Let my two children sit, one on the right hand, one on the left hand, right? And, and I'm thinking, wow. And we're able, listen to their answer. We're able to do this. We're able to drink that cup. Look at the next verse. When the 10 heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two. Do you see the, can, can I use the word attitude? Yeah. Can we talk about attitude for a minute? 
Let's talk about attitude. Let's have some fun. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Look, here's the deal. There's a lot of attitude in this room, right? Not, not this room, but in the room that we're reading about. Not that any of you would have attitude. Okay. <laughs> I would never think that. That'd be presumptuous on me. Okay. <laughs> okay. But, but here's the deal when it comes down to it. And once you see this, because it's pretty powerful, there's a place here where what is said, the 10 are moved with indignation against the two. That's a pretty strong statement right there. Like they got their corks bent, and they're, they're now in their attitude, and there's a, there's a problem here. And in the process of that, and I want you to see this. Do you know that in this whole group for three years, they constantly kind of argued about who was going to be greatest? And there's something to that. And what's Jesus doing constantly? He's trying to teach them a completely different mindset. Can I tell you? The church still struggles with that. We're going to talk about it today because it's probably one of the greatest struggles in the body of Christ. Is we have never learned how to define servant leadership. And we're going to talk about that today. That's where we're really going. Because they're arguing right now. They're moved with indignation against the two. But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. Everybody ever see that? Like that ought to be underlined. It shall not be so among you. Maybe one of the defining things of the body of Christ is that our government ought to look different than the world's government. Maybe one of the defining factors in the body of Christ is that our, our life, our understanding ought to be different than the world's understanding. There's a place where we got to get to, get to, that we can see this is that it's not about fighting over the chief places. Got to have a position, got to have a title, got to have a higher rank. And we get messed up with that stuff and it, it, it really will it, I've watched it I've, I've been in this thing a while now and I've watched I've been in an organization organized religion if I can say it that way I've been in, you know we're, we've been independent now I guess for 15 years but you still see that all happening and it's just a it's a strange mix and, and sometimes it really really troubles my heart let me take you somewhere watch what he says okay it shall not be so among you but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Whoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. You about to see that? What's he defining? He's defining servant leadership. He's defining a place where we learn what it looks like. The birds are here. <laughs> it, what it looks like. What it, what it looks like when, when you... When, Servant leadership, what it looks like to minister to one another, what it looks like to serve one another. What does that really look like? What's the big picture of that really look like? And there's a place where we got to get a hold of that. So I began to think about servant leadership. What, let him that's greatest among you, let him be your servant, okay? Or chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man, verse 28, came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life, watch this, a ransom for many. That's a really strong phrase to me. We'll talk about some of that. What does it look like? Let him that's to be chief among you, let him be the servant of all. How do we serve one another? What does that look like? 
See, remember a little while ago I was talking about the idea of not only about my pastor friend who says, you know, we've got to get them saved. I said, send them to me and I'll tell them why they're saved. This is the call that I think is so clarion to the body of Christ is, is there a place where we're waking up in the morning with the idea of not how can my life be better, but how can I make somebody else's life better? Not just how can I be blessed, but how can I be a blessing? What can I do that's going to serve my fellow man that'll make them I'm going to say have a better day. And I know we're not waking up in the morning to have a better day. But, but how can I bless somebody? How can I, how can I help somebody else? How can, I, how can I serve those that are around me? And that's got to be a call on the heart of every one of us. So I want to walk through some of that kind of stuff today. And we're going to talk about that. Because to me, that's one of the key elements of the body of Christ. I want to ask you a question just to ponder. Is the world really a better place? Because you're in it. You understand what I just said? A couple weeks ago on a Sunday morning, a little phrase came back in my head. I hadn't heard it for a long time, but it was an old phrase, but it was kind of a good one. I wonder, I wonder, how would my church be if every member were just like me? Do you understand that phrase? I wonder, I wonder, how would my church be if every member were just like me? Isn't that a cool phrase? Like, you got to think about that. Would the world be a better place if everybody in it was just like you? Or would the world be a challenging place because everybody in it was just like you? You got a purpose, how well do you like you? <laughs> and then the question is, if you don't like you, why don't you change? Come on, there, yeah, there is a place for confidence. There's a place where we walk in confidence, where, we're, where I, I can feel good about myself. But part of that is that I've got to be doing what I know I need to be doing. I've got to be living the way I know I should be living. So we look at that. I want you to go with me to Matthew 26, okay? And we're going to flip back and forth between Matthew 26 and Luke 22, okay? And I'll talk to you about some of this kind of stuff, okay? Because to me, we've just set a, we set a foundation right now. Jesus says this. Watch this. He said, the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister, right? And didn't he say, follow me? So follow me says, I'm not here to be ministered to. I'm here to minister. So we ought to be, we ought to be looking for victims where we can pla- practice ran- random acts of awesome. <laughs> Let's just be awesome. Like just go out and be awesome to people and just mess with them. It's fun. <laughs> There's a place where you can randomly just bless people and they really wonder what you're up to. It's kind of fun. I really believe in this. For some of you that know my life, I mean, it's, it's never unusual for me to just, I, I mean, I can, be, I can be in a restaurant, a store, whatever, and just go over and start talking to somebody and just out of nowhere and say, you know what, I, just, I need to hug you, come here. And just, and just love on people in a place that's very foreign to them. And they really wonder, like, what are you up to? But it felt pretty good. And there's a place where you just bless people. It's, it, it, you're in a restaurant, and a, a Marine comes in, and he goes to order, so you just buy his meal and thank him and bless him for blessing our country. I would encourage that. I would encourage that. I've, watched, I've done it many, many times. A police officer comes in. You know what I mean? Whatever. Thank you. Let me bless you. And you just practice random acts of awesome. Just bless people. 
And it went, why? Because I didn't come to be ministered to. I came to minister. So the little old lady's going out of Walmart, and she's carrying something that looks way too heavy for her. And you're in a hurry, but you can take the extra five minutes and carry her stuff for her and help her get it into her car. We, Lori and I were away, some of you know we were away over the weekend, went down to Colonial Williamsburg, and uh, I don't know, maybe five or six different times, she would walk up to people who were trying to take a picture of somebody, do you want both of your pictures together? And she would take their camera and take pictures of them and give them their camera back, and they were so thankful just for some small act of kindness like that. But watch this. You wouldn't believe the collection of cameras we had when we took them in rant. No, no, we didn't. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. But, 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 but. But you can take their pictures, you know. And, and that's so in her heart to do that, you know what I mean? But it's just, it's just a way of blessing people. Does it make, do I make sense? You all follow what I'm saying? There's just a way where we can do those kind of things. I need the micro. Oh, it's right here. Yeah. Um, okay. Go ahead, quick. No, you would just say about acts of kindness. What we love to do is when we go across the Bay Bridge, we say, we want to pay for the person behind us. Yeah. And it's, it's, so, it's so cool just to watch their faces when they, you know, I'm turning around watching them, and then they come by you, and they're like. Yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. And it's just, look, look, just a, that's good. Just a small act of kindness, just something to do to bless somebody. Did you hear what she just said? Paying for somebody's toll, going across the bridge, you know what I mean? Or whatever. Or catch this, the guy behind you is already ordered when you're driving through Burger King. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and you might just say, you know what? There's a car behind me. It looks like a mom with a couple of kids. Let me bless them. I just want to buy their dinner for them. You know, what was it? You know, it's $13.62 or whatever. And you pay for it. When they come to the window, it's an amazing blessing. It just, you want to respond to the Spirit in that. There's a place where we just respond to the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? But those are just different things. Watch this. I'm going to come back to this, the end of that verse, and then we're going to go somewhere. But watch this. The Son of Man came not to be ministered to. It's not what can I get out of life. It's what can I give. But watch this. Jesus said something else. It's more blessed to give than to receive. You know what I mean? So watch this. Just as much as the lady in the car behind you just got incredibly blessed, you drove away from Burger King feeling better than you ever have in a long time because you just blessed somebody and you got blessed by being a blessing remember that God told Abraham the only reason I blessed you was what so you could be a blessing I blessed you to be a blessing go be a blessing so maybe we ought to catch on to that and realize that that's our inheritance there's a place of servant leadership I want to talk to you about it watch this I'm going to show you a couple of things go to Matthew 26 okay we're looking at verse 14 through 19 Okay, but in verse 14, and I'm going to start here just because this is groundwork stuff right now. One of the 12 called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said to them, what will you give me and I'll deliver him to you? And they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. From that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. Um, we could talk about this a whole lot. I'll simply lay a groundwork for you with this. Judas has already made a plan. We're going to go to the upper room. We're going to talk about the, the, what we would call the Lord's Supper. We're going to look at a bunch of things. Can I share with you just a, a, a little groundwork that may help you understand something? Judas Iscariot did not sell Jesus out for the money. He, sell, he, he sold Jesus. Does anybody know what Judas's background was? What was he? From, from what group of people? Anybody know? He was a zealot, right? The, 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 the zealot would be, a, a, I think, the right 
zealot. And, and, and when, you, when you read that, the zealots hated the Romans. The zealots would kill Romans on the spur of the moment. It wasn't anything at all. They actually wore certain garments that had bell sleeves on them, long bell sleeves. If I say a bell sleeve, y'all know what I'm talking about? And up their sleeve, they would carry daggers. And when they would walk through a large crowd of people, if a large crowd had amassed, it wouldn't have been unusual for a zealot to let the dagger fall down into his hand and still concealed by his sleeve. And as he walked by behind a Roman soldier, take a dagger, jab it through his kidneys and keep walking. And that, they would kill him. And that was just not an unusual thing. You can read it. Josephus gives you the history on it. But Judas was a zealot, hated the Romans. The zealots hated the Roman oppression. They hated the Roman taxation. Judas actually believed that Jesus was the Messiah who was going to set up an earthly kingdom, right? They've been messing around for three years. It's time now to do something. In his mindset, I honestly believe this, that Judas was actually trying to force the hand of God. If I sell him out and they come to arrest him, he'll have no other recourse but to overthrow this Roman oppression and set up this kingdom because he believed that Christ's kingdom was going to be a kingdom on the earth, not a kingdom in the hearts. You follow what I'm saying? So the, the Jews actually felt like the ones that were following Christ and even his own closest to him actually believed he was setting up an earthly kingdom now. Y'all follow where I'm at? Now Judas was a thief. and We know that he was already a thief, right? Because John declares that he was a thief and he held the bag. Even whenever he complains about how the woman with the alabaster box had poured the oil out, remember? This could have been sold and given to the poor. What he really meant was we could have got some of this money. Okay, y'all follow where I'm at? So Judas, watch this. If I'm the treasurer over an itinerant ministry that maybe has some but not a lot, imagine who's going to be the treasurer over this kingdom when we rule the whole world. If I can steal a little from the ministry, imagine what his pockets are going to look like. Y'all follow where I'm at? So all he's doing is selling Jesus out to try to force God's hand so that when they come to arrest him, he'll have no recourse, no other choice but to overthrow right? Because they couldn't arrest. How many times they tried to take him and they couldn't, right? You follow this? But now what he's doing is he's setting this up. It's actually a setup where he's going to force the hand of God. He's going to force Jesus's hand to set up an earthly kingdom sooner than his plan. It was almost like he was going to push the thing. Y'all follow that? So watch this. As he covenants with him for 30 pieces of silver, there's a betrayer in the midst. verse 17. Let's read. Now the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and said, where would you that we, would, that we prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to such a man and say unto him, the master saith, my time is at hand. I'll keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them and they made ready the Passover. How many would read that and say, well, how can you go into the city to such a man? Who is such a man? I mean, do you read that and go, what do you mean, such a man? Anybody follow what I just said? You can't read that and go, oh, I see. Because <laughs> you can't read, go into the city, watch, what is it? Feast of Passover. If Jerusalem on an average day has 20,000, at the Feast of Passover, they have 60,000. The population is going to swell to three times. So if they have 60,000, there's 180,000. Right? Oh, go to such a man. He'll have a room for you. <laughs> you can't go into city to such a man. So what does that mean? What we find here is, as Matthew records this, he doesn't record who the man was, but Luke does. So let's go to Luke. Okay, you're going to have to jump over to Luke 22, and it's going to tell you something. Go to Luke 22. Okay? 
Verse 7, we're going to start at verse 7. We're going to read down through verse 12. I'll give you a minute to turn there. See, I had them pre-marked. You did. Okay. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. They said unto him, Where would you that we prepare the Passover? He said, Behold, when you're entered into the city, there shall a man meet you bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he enters in. And, he, and you shall say to the good man of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where's the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? He'll show you a large upper room furnished. There, make ready. Okay? So he said you're going to see a man carrying a pitcher of water. The interesting thing, and I don't know if we talked about this in this class or not, but one of the things that would be very interesting is this. In biblical days, men never carried water. Women carried water. If you go to John chapter 4, where's the woman at? She's at the well. What's she doing? Getting the water. The women went to the well twice a day. They went in the morning to get all their stuff for the day. They went around 9 o'clock in the morning. That's when they got it, between 8 and 9 in the morning. And then they'd go again about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. What were they doing? They were getting the water for the evening. So they went twice a day, morning and evening, to get their water. The woman that Jesus meets in John chapter 4 is at the well when? At noon. Why? Because she doesn't want to be around people. Because people talked a lot about her. Because she had a sordid reputation. And that she didn't want to be around all the jabbering lips. And I'm so glad none of that happens in the church today. And so, so what happened was she goes there at noon. And when she's there at noon, she felt pretty safe. And here comes an itinerant preacher. And he's a Jew and he's a, he's a, he's a rabbi. So he's not going to talk to her. But he did. She thought she was safe. Because no one would certainly talk to her. She was never more safe in her life. She just didn't know it. Here's the deal. A man carrying a pitcher of water would have been like Dennis Rodman in a dress. He's going to stand out in a crowd. Y'all follow what I'm saying? So at this point, at this point, when they come in, there's a man carrying a pitcher of water. He's going to have a house ready, and they're going to go to that house. Okay? Everybody got that? So it's a strong word. They're going to go to this place. What for? For the Passover. I think that's amazing. They're going to eat the Passover. I want to show you this. This is really strong in my heart right now. Jump back to. Now, stay there in Luke. Let's, let's read a little farther. They went and found, as he said unto them, they made ready the Passover. When the hour was come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. And he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. There's a whole bunch of stuff there. You have any idea what the Passover supper looked like? They're going to eat the lamb. And everything about Passover pointed to Jesus. It was all about the exile of the Jews from Egypt. We understand the history of it. But if you study the Passover, the Seder... Everything about the Passover is pointing to Christ. It's all pointing to his coming. It's all pointing to his suffering. It's all pointing to his death. Jesus is sitting in that room. He said, with desire, catch this, because I have some words underlined in my other Bible. I don't in this one. I have some underlined in this Bible. But in my other Bible, I have this Passover underlined. You know why? He's eaten Passover with them several times. Probably, if I can understand the history, right, the first Passover, he only had seven disciples. You know, he started with seven. When you read about the feast of Canaan in Galilee at the wedding, when he changed the water to the wine, he only had seven disciples. He didn't have 12. 
Not at that point. He would get five more as the time went on. But when he goes in John chapter 2, and you can read it, he takes seven disciples with him because that's all he has. The other ones he hasn't called yet. He's going to call them. And if you follow the chronology, it's kind of cool. But at, at this, uh, he'd have probably had his first Passover with a smaller group, but the second Passover would have been the whole group, third Passover. Uh, this is kind of interesting because he's with them for three and a half years. But he says, this is the Passover I was looking for because this is the one that's going to culminate everything. Right? There's some pretty neat things. With desire, I've desired to come to this moment. There was something that was so motivating him, and that's a challenge for me when I think about it. He's going to go straight from here. You know that he's going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. What's he going to pray? Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But just a few moments before, with desire, I've desired to eat this Passover. Do you understand the mixture of emotions? Come on, Hebrews tells us that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, suffering the shame. What joy? You and I are his joy. The fact that we would come into the family with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover. It's going to bring together God's plan that he set in motion from Genesis chapter 3, from the very fall of man. He has set this plan in motion to bring us to this time. With desire, I've come to this moment in my life. I've, with desire, every, come on, every reason that he was born is about to happen right now. It's the most climactic moment on planet Earth ever. The creation's about to kill the Creator. I don't know if that moves your heart like it moves my heart, but it speaks volumes to me. So what's this look like in the big picture? With desire, I've desired to eat this Passover. And then he says something, and I want to, I, was, I guess I never even saw this until a couple weeks back. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof till it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. What? The Passover. The Passover was symbolic, but it's about to be fulfilled. Everything about the Passover pointed to this moment in time. They've been celebrating Passover since the, since the Israelites left out of Egypt. Come on, it's been a long time. From the time of Moses and the deliverance there. Come on. He, you understand, we all understand Moses was a type of Christ, right? Moses was a type of Christ, a type and shadow of Christ, leading the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. Is a type of Jesus leading us out of sin and into freedom and victory. It all points to that. Pharaoh is a type, of, a type of the devil, a type of Satan, who tried to hold the children in bondage. Come on, Satan's still trying to hold children in bondage. There's a place where, man, he set me free from Egypt. Now set me free from me. Oh, yeah. there's a prayer. <laughs> Shoo. Come. I think I'll preach that. Okay. <laughs> but watch this, because this is so strong. I won't eat of it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Did you catch that? That's amazing to me. What a verse. Jump back to Matthew 26. Let me walk you through some things. Matthew 26, let's drop back. Let's go to about verse 20. When the evening was come, he sat down with the twelve. As they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, one of you will betray me. They were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it me? Is it I? He answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written unto him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better for him if he had not even been born. 
Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He said unto him, Thou hast said. Why do you think Judas said, Is it me? Do you think he was really saying, Do you know? You ever gone to somebody that you know you offended them really bad, like you messed up? Well, if I've hurt you, could you forgive me? What do you mean if? You know you did. Do you understand what I just said? Zacchaeus, remember that he's up in the tree? Zacchaeus is up in the tree. He's in the sycamore tree. Jesus says, come down today. I've got to go to your house to eat supper. Right? Goes to his house. Has supper with them. They're all complaining about Jesus. And how could you go eat with the tax collectors? Right? What's he say to the Lord? Lord, if I've taken anything wrongfully from any man, I'll restore him fourfold. Why did he say if? Come on, he's been, he made his living stealing, taking wrongfully. It tells us that. Sometimes we do the same thing. We find maybe it's a more convenient way to address the situation. If I hurt you, I didn't mean to. No, you know you hurt them. Might be we ought to say, listen, I know I hurt you. And I, it wasn't ever my intent. It's not my heart. But there's not an if there. Do you understand what I just said? When Judas says to Jesus right here, is it me? Could it possibly be me? He's already gone to the chief priest. He's already sold him out. He's, he, hasn't, he, has, he covenanted, he hasn't paid him yet, but there's already a plan in motion to betray Jesus. And he says, there's somebody sitting at the table who's going to betray me. Judas said, oh, is it me? Too late, you're busted. There's a place where sometimes we've got to look into our own heart and understand our own motives and everything about that. I, I use a phrase that I, 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 and I use it a lot, but it speaks a lot to me. If I live with my closet doors open, I'll never have to worry about what you can find in my closet. Do you understand what I just said? Why not just live your life squeaky clean and not worry about it? There's a place where we've got to be so open and transparent. It's kind of interesting if you're watching in, in, in America right now, we're doing the whole political thing, you know, and Rick Perry, the governor from Texas, and there's a lot of, lot of neat stuff. I've read some good stuff about him. I don't know enough about him to cast a ballot or anything, but, you know, read some good stuff about him and, of course, Sarah Palin, and there's people that love her, and then there's other people that can't stand her, and there's all the different things with that. There's a lot of mixture out there, and you got Mitch Romney and some of these different, and they're all kind of throwing their hat in the ring for the Republican nominee for the presidential campaign. And, and I watch all this stuff, and I think, man, they're opening themselves up. It's kind of interesting. But what I find in that is that every one of them has people going around behind them making sure that everything's clean. And you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. Is there a place in our life where we can get to the point where we say, man, How many of you remember, some of you that are older, I'm 50 couple years old now, but there's uh, 52, yeah, 50 couple, <laughs> yeah, but there's a, there was a time when altar service would happen at the church, and people would come to the altar, and they'd kneel down, and then they'd get up, and they'd have to go back to the back where they'd meet with somebody and talk with them, making sure that what was wrong was made right. If there was restitution, it had to take place. 
And then there was a place where they could come together to the altar and pray. Anybody remember some of those things? Jesus mentions it in Matthew in his Sermon on the Mount. I think it's Matthew 6, and about the end, toward the end of Matthew 6. He said, if you know that your brother has ought against you, before you offer your gift, you go and you make that right with your brother. Then you come and you can offer your gift. There's a place where we keep our hearts pure, our conscience clear, our lives clean. Y'all follow what I just said? That's so huge to me. That's so huge to me because I got to say something that's the, I think there's an epidemic of unforgiveness in the body of Christ. And we've got to crush that. There's a place where we love one another with real hearts and we don't, we don't hold anybody accountable and we're not, we're not out. And, and we've got to get rid of this you owe me mentality because that's ridiculous. Nobody owes you. There isn't such a thing as you owe me. Jesus paid it all. <laughs> there's not a you owe me. I, I, I want to say it sounds really harsh. Most of you that know me enough know my heart's never harsh, but there's a place where... Uh, if you're living with the idea that somebody owes you something, you're mistaken. You're mistaken. Um, I, I, I'm trying not to sound hard, and it just there's no other way to say this, but the, this epidemic of unforgiveness and this place of, of holding one another a, 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 I don't want to say holding each other accountable. It's not the word I'm looking, but, but it's like holding each other almost in court has got to cease. Um, and we've, we've, found a, we've found a place in the body that we've, we've become judge and jury in our own minds sometimes. And, and I just think there's a place. Jesus is about, to, is about to break bread, give it to his disciples. He's going to wash feet with them in just a few moments. We're going to study all this. Do you understand Judas is still at the table? Jesus hasn't said, you're guilty, get out of here. I don't want nothing to do with you. He's even called him out right now as the betrayer. But he's still going to give him communion. He's still going to wash Judas' feet. It's not till after feet washing. If you study John 13, it's after feet washing that Judas will leave the table. I don't know if that speaks to you like it does to me. But there's a place where where I don't want to hold anybody in the courtroom of my mind, bring counsel against them, find them guilty, and throw them under the bus. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? And I know that's it's a solemn thing, but I'm, I'm talking straight. There's a place where we've got to get past that. There's a, there's a, there's a thing where, where we live in I'm going to say this, uh, a place of uh, uh, maybe what we would call I'm going to say I can tell you I forgive you but if every time I hear your name something rises up in me and goes ew (laughs) then I probably didn't forgive you We've learned what to say because it's the Christian thing to say. But it doesn't mean it's necessarily that way. Chloe, pass this back to Rachel, would you? Just pass it to Chelsea. There's a thing. Sometimes we, we say the right thing because we've learned to say the right thing. 
But just because you said the right thing doesn't mean you feel the right thing or you're doing the right thing. Do you understand where I'm at? I forgive you doesn't necessarily mean I forgave you. Because forgiveness isn't a matter of the lips, it's a matter of the heart. Remember one of the greatest cries that God had against Israel was what? With your lips you praise me, but your heart's far removed from me. They had learned the religious thing to say, so they were saying the religious thing. But if your heart's not in it, you can say anything you want. Anybody ever tell you they love you and you thought, liar, liar, pants on fire? Because <laughs> you knew they were just saying that because it sounded good, it was the right thing to say? Go ahead, Rach. Electronics, you got to flip the button. Um, it's, it's like it's a right. I think it's a right that we're trying to hold on to yeah. that we haven't died to. Oh, I got the right to be mad. I got the right to be angry. You owe me. Ugh. You violated my rights. And the only right you have is to be like Jesus. He's hanging on a cross saying, Father, forgive them. I think he'd have had a right if anybody had a right. He could have said, Father, kill them all. And he would have. <laughs> but it didn't. Yeah. I read these things and they really speak volumes to my heart. I want to take you to a place. Watch this. Okay. He says, Master, is it I? Jesus said, Thou hast said. Go back to Luke. Let's go back to Luke a minute. Luke 22. Let's go to about verse 17. We'll read the same, same account. He took the cup, he gave thanks, and he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. I won't, I won't drink of it again until the kingdom of God shall come. Watch this. I would read this in the past and think he's talking about the millennial reign. But he's not. I thought he was talking about the, 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 I thought he was talking about the marriage supper. Surely that's what he means. I'll drink it at the marriage supper. I preached that at one time. That that meant he's going to, we'll, we'll drink with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Because it sounds right. But what was he saying? He was saying, I won't drink of this until the kingdom of God has come. What, did, what was his message? One of the things that's a, a real crux for everything that I preach was that if you asked 97% of the body of Christ what's the central message of the gospel, we'd say you must be born again. But that's not the central message of the gospel. It wasn't the message of Christ. Christ ever only preached that one time. He only ever preached it one time to one man in the middle of the night. I've called that the Nick at night experience. I think it's a good word. Nicodemus at night, right? He preaches that to Nicodemus in the middle of the night. John chapter 3, one man. But 37 times he preaches what? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. What? It's within reach. But he says, I won't drink of this again until the kingdom of God has come. What's he saying? Change of dispensations. In the next 24 hours, everything's going to change. History is going to change. Everything is going to change. We're going to go from the law to grace. We're going to go from under, under, under Mosaic law to a new dispensation called grace. And the blood of Jesus is going to change everything. It's going to happen in the next few hours. They're going to arrest him in the garden. They're going to pluck his beard. They're going to go down the whole list of things where he's going to bleed. And he's going to shed his blood for mankind. And I'm going to tell you something. It's going to be pretty heavy. But in the process of all that, a dispensation is going to change. I won't drink it again with you until the kingdom of God has come. 
It was at hand, now it's come. Do you understand that? Everybody understand what I just said? Because there's a change of dispensation that's going to happen in the next few moments. And that's what he's talking about right here. He's saying, this is going to shift everything. Everything's going to change. I won't drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. That's amazing to me. I love this. Drop down to verse 29. And I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father has appointed unto you, unto me. I appoint unto you a kingdom. Do you understand what he's saying? Everything's changing. Y'all get that? Everything's changing. I love that. Go over to Matthew again, 26. I love this stuff. This is the part I'm looking for. Yeah, we're good. We got, this is good. Watch, watch this. In Matthew 26, drop down to verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread blessed it, break it, gave it to the disciples and said, take eat, this is my body. Probably two weeks ago, I was just reading some stuff and the Lord really spoke to my heart. Actually, if you're in a mentoring class with me, I taught this in mentoring class last week, I believe it was. But it's a revelation that's new to my heart. But I want to talk to you about it because I see this as so much of what God's trying to speak to me as an individual and maybe to us as a local body and maybe a lot farther than that. But do you remember the last thing Jesus did before he, before he ascended back to heaven? He lifted up his hands and he blessed them. Y'all remember that? Yeah, spoke to them. Go tarry in Jerusalem to be new with power on high. And what's it say? A cloud received him out of their sight. You ever get a, do you get visual pictures of all that stuff? I, I love the visual stuff because I'm, I'm this picture now. I don't even know what that looks like, but just Jesus just going up in a cloud. I got it in my, in my mind because I'm very celestial. It's my Catholic roots. I'm picturing Jesus like this and the clouds just lifting him up. You know what I mean? And he's blessed them. You know what I mean? I, that's the picture I get in my head. I don't know. It's just kind of cool. And, you know, the flowing robes and the beard and the, and the and hair. <laughs> I get visions of hair. <laughs> but but, but in, in that, you know, so, sometimes it's just memories. But, <laughs> but in, in the process of all that, and I want you to think about this for a minute. Picture Jesus He's just blessed them. What does that look like to you? Sometimes you ask somebody, how are you doing? What's the response? I'm blessed. What does blessed look like to you? If somebody says, I'm blessed, do you get like, what does blessed mean? Now, who has a microphone? Rachel, you have a microphone. What's blessed mean to you? I'll fix you for holding on to the mic. <laughs> If somebody says, I'm blessed, what would you, how, how do you look at that? Uh, I, well, I probably look at it differently than I used to um, now that I know. That means that. class is working. <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. You know, because, you know, a lot of times we, we say, you know, we bless each other and just, you know, say blessing. 
um, upon each other. But um, I guess now more like, you know, that you know who you are or you know, um, you know that you have the blessings of the Lord with you, that they're part of you. Um, but what are they? Well, tell me I what the, if somebody says, if somebody says I'm blessed, how would you see that? Do you have any idea? You want to pass it off to Vicki? She's passing. She's passing to Vicki. Take it, Vicki. Vicki always has a thought. <laughs> Go ahead, huh? Yeah. Where do you see? Come on, because we, we'll say it. Sometimes we even put it in the, in the bottom of our letter. You know what I mean? Be blessed. You know what I mean? Uh, however, you know, we might sign your name. Blessings upon you, whatever. You know, different things like that. And we talk about what does the blessing of the Lord in your life look like? Well, it's not material. Okay. It's, um, it's having joy when you walk through circumstances. Okay. Regardless of what you feel like, knowing that God has the final say. It's, it's having faith in that everything is going to work together for good. Okay. Um, uh, being blessed is, is not looking at who you think you are, but knowing who God knows you are. Okay. Okay, so who can I pass it off to? <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, you were, on, you were on a roll. Okay, yeah. We'll share some thoughts about what blessed looks like, okay? Just hang tight. Go ahead. All is well, complete, and perfect. Wow. All is well, complete, and perfect? Even though you can't, that doesn't look that way? Is that what you're saying? Okay. <laughs> okay. Because I don't know how your life is, but I'm still waiting for that all is well, complete, and perfect. And I, I, but I understand what you're saying. There's a place where even when it doesn't look perfect, right, we see things differently through, through, the, eyes of, through the eyes of the Lord. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I violated that. Don't tell Dan. Okay. It's my line. No, no, okay. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Um, I personally know that I'm blessed because of where I'm at in my life today. Okay. Um, I'm blessed to be alive. Okay. Because God has um, given me grace and mercy. Um, and he's allowing me to feel forgiveness and that's a really big blessing for me um, okay and the relationships that I have in my life that are being repaired mm -hmm. is a blessing because I um, a lot of bridges were burnt through my addiction right um, you know and just having a roof over my head mm -hmm. um, and having clean clothes mm -hmm. like oh, things that um, like when I was a child I would take for granted I definitely don't today because I went through my active addiction where I was bankrupt in any way you could imagine. So, you know, and coming to this class has allowed me to see that I am blessed beyond my imagination because God has taken me through where I'm at today I never imagined I would be. Cool. And that is just, like, amazing to me. It is, isn't so, it? So, I mean, right. I'm a blessing just to be alive. Absolutely. And if you can catch her heart in what she's saying from... Because when you've been in a place where you didn't have a roof over your head, where you didn't have clean clothes, where you probably should have been dead, then you can look and go, wow, I am so blessed. Things that maybe we would have taken for granted otherwise, now all of a sudden carry incredible value to us. And we realize there's a blessing of that. And I've been freed from my active addiction. Like I have not had one desire in five years. Cool. That's like 
Awesome. Yay, God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because you probably quit like, what, 79 times before? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. But it's really for real. Isn't that kind of neat? Okay. Yeah. We'll get this just a couple more. Uh, we're going to. Did you? Are you talking or are you just. You going to pass it? Then don't sit down. Get over here. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, buddy. Yeah. Um, it's kind of neat because if you look at it, things that, and we look at the blessing of the Lord. What I want to talk to you about is this. When we think about this, see, I'm going to come back to this. Jesus lifted up his hands and he blessed them. You know, when I do a wedding now, one of the neat things I'm able to do with weddings a lot of times is if it's, if it's a feasible situation, the fa- I'll get the father of the bride to come up at the end of the service before I pronounce them husband and wife, place his hand upon the, hus- upon the man and the woman, and I tell him, I don't want you to pray for them, I want you to bless them. How many know there's a difference between a prayer and a blessing? A prayer is a prayer, and a blessing is a blessing. They're two just very distinctly different things. And I'll tell them, bless them. And, and I don't want you to pray and ask God for something for them. I want you to bless them. And they look at me because most people don't even have an understanding. There's a difference there. But a prayer is a prayer, and a blessing is a blessing. We'll talk about some of that. Go ahead, on. It's on. It's on. Okay. Um, I guess I think of a few different things. When I think of blessing, the first thing I think of is persecuted. And I think there's this one verse. I don't remember where it is, but that stuck out to me a while back, and it said that it has been granted to you to suffer. And um, and I so I see blessing as, as seeing the kingdom, seeing who God is, and you're being blessed to have that kingdom, and in the midst of that, you will suffer persecution. You will suffer. Okay, but you're, got, you're blessed because you're but, partaking with him. Right, you're partaking okay. with him. And so it kind of oversees the other like whether or not you're looking blessed here, you're overall, you're just, you're blessed. You're blessed in the kingdom. You're blessed with God. Right. Then I also see blessing as, but he also, he's come to make us fruitful. He wants us to be like Joseph's and to oversee. Like that's a blessing that's, he wants to bless everybody with. Okay. So. Okay, cool. I think I follow where you're at. Okay. Go ahead, Becca. Well, every, every time he um, blessed something, it multiplied. That's Multiplication. cool. Wow. That's cool, isn't it? Okay. Okay. Let me, let me, let me do one more. Do you have your hand up or you just... Okay. Just, okay. <laughs> okay. Back. Go, go to the back. Get Jen and then we're going to kind of... And I'll pick it up from there. Okay. Um, when we think of blessing, there's a whole lot of different things that have to do with blessing. Okay. Remember, watch this. He took the bread. He lifts it up toward heaven. He blesses it. He's going to break it. He's going to give it to his disciples and say, this is my body. So there's a whole bunch of things we're going to look at there. Go ahead. Blessed to me is, um, and I looked it up. I just did a word study on it a long time ago, but it just made perfect sense to me. The the. The top notch of it is to be endued with power from within and clothed with it from without all the way down to, that's the top part of it, the best part of it. And I think when we receive Jesus, that's exactly what happens. Okay. So we're blessed right from the start. And I've, I've, I've heard even the Bible says happy at the end, so the joyous part. I believe you'd be happy for a moment, but believe that joy comes through all things. It's not something that withers away. Sure. So. 
That's okay. What, that's what I want to add to it. Cool. Let me give you this, all right? If I was to think of maybe the most destitute people on planet Earth, I might think that they would live in a leper colony in India. If you think of leper colonies in India, who comes to your mind? Maybe one of the most blessed people on the earth. Her name was Mother Teresa. She lived among the lepers in India in leper colonies. She didn't have hardly much to her name. She didn't have hardly anything as far as material goods, yet an incredibly blessed woman. If you ever study her life, it's amazing. Amazing life, exemplary life, showing Christian virtues and, and character. It's just absolutely phenomenal. Maybe she'll be one on the right hand. And Billy Graham on the left. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> okay, but, but in the process of that, when you think about great people who have impacted the world in our age, in our day, Mother Teresa has to come to mind. A very blessed woman lived in leper colonies among lepers with the destitute and the poor and the degraded. Do you follow where I'm at? Anybody understand what I'm just saying? So blessed doesn't mean I have three cars and, and, a, and, a, and a two-story house and a white picket fence. You all follow what I'm saying? But in the modern mindset, sometimes we think that way. And we've got to change the way we think, all right? But we're blessed people, right? Because it's not about the bank account and the clothes on your back and, the, and all the things there. Because I've got to tell you something. There's a lot of really, really blessed people that don't have much money. Y'all follow what I just said? There's a lot of miserable rich people. Well, that'll preach a while. Okay. <laughs> So if you're rich and miserable, give it to me. No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Okay, watch this. Watch this. Here's the deal. And one of the things we've got to look at in our life, and I think it's pretty simple, but we have to get a, we have to, first we've got to get an idea of what does my blessed life look like? If God wants me blessed, I don't know what blessed looks like. Maybe blessed means I can lay my head on a pillow at night and I'm at peace. Maybe it's because I understand that I'm righteous. Because I'm in relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe it has something to do with righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. Y'all follow what I just said, right? Because that's how he describes the kingdom. The kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, peace, and joy. There's a place where we come to an understanding of what that is. Watch this. I want to take you back to Matthew 26 again. Let's look at it. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and he blessed it. He broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and said, take eat. This is my body. If we can understand blessed, then we've got to understand broken. Because the first thing he did with the bread was he blessed it. The second thing he did with the bread was break it. What did he call that? This is my body. Watch this. If we can catch this, this is, the, this is what God was speaking to my heart about. This is my body. Blessed it, broke it, and gave it. Anybody follow what I just said? We're blessed to be broken and given. We're blessed to be broken and given. That's huge to me. Like God really spoke to my heart about this the other day. So, so it, it rose up in my spirit. He blessed me so he could break me and give me. I, I don't know if you catch that or not, but I want to ask you a question. What does your life, you, there's nobody in this room. If I said, is there anybody here who's not blessed, stand up. I don't think anybody would stand. I just think you believe you're blessed. So if you're blessed, then I got to believe this is that 
when he said, this is my body, he blessed it, broke it, and gave it. We're his body, blessed, broken, to be given. What does it look like to be broken? What does it look like to be broken? Maybe that's why he said, if any man would be my disciple, what's the first sign of discipleship? Deny yourself. Die out to yourself. Be broken to your own will. Be broken to your own wants. Be broken to your own needs. Be broken to your own desires. You're not living for you anymore. You're living for him. What does that look like? If I'm blessed to be broken and given, here's the deal. i got to understand, first of all, what does my blessed life look like? What does a brokenness look like? And how do I give that? That's a big deal to me. I'm going to preach this. This is so strong in my heart right now. There's a place where we have to understand this. I believe that I'm a very, very, very blessed man. I believe blessing has absolutely nothing to do with finances. I believe blessing has absolutely nothing to do with the house you live in or the bank account that you have. I believe that I'm a blessed... Let me tell you something. I grew up poor. I've been in positions where I've made lots of money. I've been in positions where I've made hardly no money. and never changed who I was. But what I do understand is this. If you walk around on the earth, you'll find I might be one of the happiest people there is. Because I understand my identity and my relationship to Jesus Christ. I'm a blessed man. Blessed. I got an amazing family. I got an amazing wife. We're married 32 years this week. Thursday is our anniversary. 32 years. I got kids that love me. Right, Josh? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got, I got grandchildren that think, you know what I mean? That, uh, it's just fun. My little granddaughter comes to me. You know what she does? She jumps on me and hugs me. And she says, you're my best friend in the whole wide world. And I'm happy at you. Don't tell mommy. <laughs> she says that all the time. <laughs> okay, yeah. You're my best friend. Don't tell mommy. Okay. <laughs> Here's the deal. I'm a blessed man. I got friends. Do you know what? Old friends are like priceless treasures. Some of you know John Scott that comes to church here. John and I go back about 25 years, 26 years, maybe somewhere around there. And uh, he's lived with Lori and I, been through some tough places. We've taken him in. And, and sometimes John has the, the whole down in the doldrum things, and, I, and he'll call me. And, and I'll tell him, I said, John, you're an old friend, man. Old friends are like priceless treasures. You should take them in the backyard and bury them. <laughs> but you've got friends you've got family you've got people around you that love you you're a blessed person I don't think there's anybody that would, deba- would debate whether they're blessed what I want to know is what does your broken life look like what does it mean really when he says deny yourself take up your cross and follow him what does, what does a life of self-denial really look like what does it mean when I say I'm not living for me I'm living for you yeah, that's a strong question. That's a strong question. How, watch this. Jesus said, I came not to be ministered to, but to minister and give my life a ransom for many. What does that look like? How do I give my life a ransom for many? What does a life of, 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 of serving others and not self? You've, heard, you've been sitting in this class for weeks and weeks, and I haven't been able to be in the class very much, but I know Dan well enough to know. Pastor Dan has talked about the idea of selfishness. We've got to die out to selfishness. I'm sure that he's talked about dying out to selfishness because everywhere he goes, he talks about we've got to die out to ourselves. We've got to die out to selfishness. The very plague of sin came from selfishness. Every sin in the world can be traced back to selfishness. 
So how do we die out to self, and what does that really look like? And if I came not to be ministered to, but to minister and give my life a ransom, what does that look like? How, what, I'm going to talk about the practical application. Because if I can memorize a thousand scriptures but don't apply any, I'm useless. Right? 1 Corinthians 13, I speak with the tongue of men and angels. If I don't have love, I'm a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. Right? If I have faith to move mountains but I don't have love, I got nothing. So if I could talk and quote about denying self but I can't live it, how do you live what you don't understand? So what does denying yourself look like? I just asked you a few minutes ago, what does being blessed look like? And everybody had an idea. I want to ask you this question. We're going to talk about it. What does denying yourself look like? If I'm broken, if I'm no longer living for me, if I'm living for some, come on, if I'm not living for me, I'm living for you. Watch this. If I'm not out for myself, but I'm living for others, if I've really lived, watch it. The first sign, is it the first sign of discipleship? If any man would come after me, what? Take up, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. What does self-denial look like? What does living for others, what does that look like on a, on a Tuesday afternoon in practical application? What does that look like? Come on, we're going to talk. Let's go to Jeanette. Go ahead. She's, she's being brave. She took the first stand. Then you can pass it straight to Mel because she's anxious. Look. Okay. <laughs> go ahead. Okay. To me, it was when I wanted to leave my husband because I felt, I'm just so tired of the roller coaster ride. And, and I felt like God was saying, get in your closet. And I got on my face before God. And I said, either you change him or change me. And He's still the same. <laughs> and it's okay. And it's really okay because he changed my heart. And that was dying to what I wanted to do and doing what God wanted me to do. That's a good word. That's cool. Living according to what this says. Right. And saying, you, I believe he could do it. And that's what the self-denial was to me. Okay. Do you hear what she said? It's about, it's about letting God change me rather than the people around me. Good word, right? Right? Because I don't have the ability to change anybody else. I counsel this all the time. And it's wonderful because I, I got blessed because of it. Absolutely. I, I'm blessed. Right. Because and still getting blessed. Oh, all the time. Every still day, changing. It's the best. It's the yeah. best life. It's the best thing I ever did. Yeah. Who's ever heard God. the song, He's Still Working On Me? Yep. Right? I'm walking through the house one day singing that several years ago, but I'm walking through the house singing, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. And my wife goes, praise God. (laughs) And I thought that was rude. (laughs) Amen. Bring it to Bobby Joe, would you? Come on. Here's where we're at. And and why don't you see this a minute? Because there's a place where we learn and study and and try to, you can can study scripture all day long. But the fact of the matter is, I don't want to know how much you know. I want to know how much you're living. So it's the practical application. If I'm blessed to be broken and given, I want to know what does that look like? What does being broken look like? So Jeanette tells us, man, it's about there's a place where it's not my will but yours to be done. It sounds like a prayer in the garden maybe. Come on, man. That's right. Go ahead. Go ahead, Bobby. Um, Whenever I um, think about deny yourself and carry your cross, I always learned that carrying my cross meant that I was always going to have pain and hardship and all these things. And I see it totally different now. I see myself walking behind Jesus as he's carrying his cross, and I know where we're going. Okay. We're going to die. Right. And whenever you 
um, whenever I die to self, I, a couple years ago, my husband and I in our kitchen, we prayed and it was an, a powerful prayer because we gave our full lives to him because we couldn't hang on to anything and survive peacefully internally. So recently we did the same prayer again and gave it all up to him because that complete freedom, like it makes you want to just jump for joy when you are walking for him and it means letting go of absolutely everything and you know I'm not looking for provisions but they are just there as I'm walking in him I'm not striving to do anything I am resting in him and there is no better place to be and I just say Lord keep me here don't let me go anywhere and if I start to stray pull me back because there's no better place than to be with you I'm willing to give it all up everything for him That'll just preach, man. Come on. Do <laughs> you hear what she's saying? No, there's, there's a lot of power in the statement Bobby Joe just made. And we got to catch that because i got to tell you something. One of the most liberating days in my life was the day I got completely out of control. <laughs> Do you understand what I just said? There's a place where we render control. We're saying, God, I don't even want control. I don't want to be in control. It's not my life to live. It's yours. Live it through me. I don't want to be in control. But here's the deal. And for most of us, and I, I want to be careful, blanket statements are always kind of challenging, but here's the deal. For most of us, today I'm out of control, but tomorrow I'm trying to take it back. And I've got to die out to the take it back mentality. I'm really good, really good, really good, really good, really good, really good, and all of a sudden the situation rises, and all of a sudden now I want to grab a hold and, and there's an internal struggle, right? And there's that dying out, because I honestly believe that I... I, I, I want to say it the right way, and I'm not even real sure. I think when, actually, we've taken a scripture where Paul says, I die daily. If you read that in the context, he's really describing a, a life of, his, his, his life is in jeopardy on a daily basis physically. But there's another place where we look at that and we realize we're dying out to ourselves on a continuing basis. There is a place where we've got to continue to die out to ourselves. Dying out to yourself is not a one-time process. I think it's an ongoing process, usually about 7,219 times a day. <laughs> before lunch okay <laughs> okay y'all know what i'm saying and there's a place where we learn that okay yeah tell me what tell me what brokenness looks like what does it mean i de- deny yourself brokenness who else has an idea what does brokenness look like in your life what does it look like are you up trish okay yeah there's a place where we understand brokenness where we understand what does my life look like when i yield that control completely to the lord when, I, when I'm, I'm not making decisions just based on what I want, but on what he wants. What does that look like? What's the practical application of that day? Go ahead. When I think about that, it's like putting away even your selfish desires, your, your wants and your needs above okay. others and helping them to reach their potential and helping them to reach the, the places where God has them for them. It's like... Um, hmm. Can't give an example right now. Okay. Okay. But it's like, just like you want to do something, but you see somebody who's in greater need. Okay. And so, you put aside your. I'm your laying desire. down my need for the need of the greater good. Yeah. Okay. You understand what you just said, right? Because it's not about me, right? How many's ever watched Joyce Myers? You know, because she does that's her famous line. What about me? 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 And she does that whole robot thing. That's such a true statement. We live in a world where that's a that's a permeated mentality. It really saturates the body. And we've got to get to that place where, man, I'm dead to me. What about me? There's a tombstone that has me on it. I'm dead to the me, and it's Jesus who's living. 
That makes all the difference in the world. Shane, there's a place where we catch a hold of that and we understand and we're watching for that, saying, God, I, I just want, I want so to be dead to me and alive to Christ. Paul said, no longer I that live, Christ lives in me. Go ahead. Well, actually, just, uh, just yesterday, um, I did a lot of driving, and uh, while driving, I was able to listen to um, uh, the, the end of Job. I listened to the end of Job, and the funny thing is, is the brokenness of Job didn't come by all the bad things that happened. It wasn't, it wasn't all the bad things, all the, all, all the uh, uh, things that Satan did to him that broke him. What actually broke him was uh, the realization of his perspective of it, where brokenness is actually... Uh, uh, a state of perspective, and like when 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 God uh, when God spoke to him, Job was in this you know in this place of seeing God, at, or questioning God in a uh, 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 in questioning God's kind of character, and that's what all the friends were doing, and it was just this this place of question, 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 and then God comes back and He says, "How can you question? How can you question me?" And He goes through and He just lays out all the beautiful things that He does. You know, he's like, I take care, and he t starts talking about the, the beasts of the field. He's like, who's the one who, who, who provides the grass for them so that they can feed and grow? And he points out all these beautiful things. Mm -hmm. And then, but the perspective that Job was coming from was the perspective of darkness. He was seeing darkness and looking at the darkness and then getting frustrated with God because of the darkness. And rea in reality, the funny thing is, is Job's heart broke, not when he saw darkness, but actually when he saw beauty. When he saw the good, when he saw, when he saw God's heart, because then he says, "Who am I to to speak now?" Because I see, because the perspective now that I so, in my mind, I, I this is a, a new thing I'm kind of toying with and just thinking about. But maybe brokenness is actually based on perspective, not based off of things like things happen to you that break you, but versus the perspective in which you see everything in. Perspective's everything. When it really comes down to it, and I understand what you're saying, because there's a place of brokenness, there's a place of understanding. Even the understanding that I'm blessed can come from a place of being broken. Watch this, because in the middle of the car accident, my car's destroyed, my leg's broken, my arm's broken, whatever, and I'm going through this mess. And I'm sitting there saying, thank you, God, I'm not dead. Now you've got two choices. Thank you, God, I'm not dead. Or, oh my gosh, my car, my leg, my arm. Oh my gosh, how am I going to live? How am I going to make a living? How am I? Or you can live with, thank God, I'm not dead. I'm a blessed man. Look, there's very few people who ever would have got out of this alive. Look at me. Yay, God. You know, so there's a way to do that and keep your perspective right. It's all about how you see things. What are you looking at? It's huge. So in the whole idea of brokenness, watch this. I'm blessed to be broken and be given. I want to talk about that some more because there's some things there. In my brokenness, watch this, because I'm not living for me. So you know what? I'm living for Kathy. How can I bless Kathy? How can I be a blessing to Kathy? How can I make Kathy's life better? What can I do to change the world for Kathy and make it a better place for her? You understand that? What can I do? We can walk right down through it. You know what I mean? So Jeanette's going through a tough place, and my job is this. My job isn't to pat her on the back and say, honey, it's okay, you poor thing. It's terrible. My job is to come along and strengthen her and encourage her. How do I do that? In my brokenness, I might be saying, and watch this, because here's the deal, and this is a big deal. Sometimes when somebody's going through a tough place, we felt like, out of a way to love them, we want to come along and be their superhero, right? 
We have a need to, to, to I'm going to say, even be a pseudo-savior, if you follow that phrase, uh, okay? And maybe that's out of our own need more than it was out of their need. And I hope you understand what I just said. That's a very challenging thought. But there's honestly a place where I come alongside and just undergird and lift up and strengthen. If you're in a hole, my job isn't to come and judge you about the hole you're in. If you're in a hole, maybe my job was simply to come alongside of you and speak to you in that place and take the strength of my life, add it to the strength of your life to pull you out of the hole. And I don't have a need to judge you. I don't have a need to condemn you. I don't have a need to feel better than you. I just have a need to help you because I love you and I don't want you in the hole. So I take the strength of my life, add it to the strength of your life to help get you out of the hole. Do you understand that? Why? Because one day I might be in a hole. I got an idea that if Jeanette's in a hole and and I come along and I help her out of that hole, one day when I'm in a hole, she's going to remember the guy that helped her. Does that make sense? Come on, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, come on. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. So here's the deal. We help one another. We assist one. Come on, two are better than one. If one falls in a ditch, what? The other's there to help him. Woe be to that man who's alone when he falls in a ditch. Ecclesiastics 4. There's a place where we're encouraging one another, lifting one another up. And even in that place of brokenness, watch it. Because my life isn't about me. My life is about how can I make my life better for you? The Son of Man came not to be ministered to. It's not what can I get. It's what can I give. Y'all follow that, right? If we can live with the mentality of what can I give rather than what can I get, won't the world around us be a better place? I'm telling you, there's a place where we get to an understanding of this where we say, wait a minute, my life has to shift and change. I can't just be living for me. I've got to understand servant leadership. How can I help? How can I assist? What can I do? If you want to be a leader, learn to serve. That's what Jesus was just saying. He was saying the Gentiles, I got you. The Gentiles exercise lordship over you because that's their mentality. That's the way they understand. That's the way they've always done things. But I'm telling you, it shouldn't be so among the body of Christ. The body of Christ ought to have a leadership view that looks completely different than the world view. It's not work from the top down. I heard Pastor Dan yesterday talk about the toilet scrubber, scrubbing toilets so they can work their way up. That's crazy. There's a place where we serve, where we lead. Where, where, watch this. There's a place where we simply say, what can I do to serve you and help you the very best way I can? You don't need a handout. You need a hand up. How can I give you a hand up? Y'all follow what I'm saying? There's a place where we encourage, where we lift up, where we're not worried. Look not on your own, but on the things of others. We're lifting one another up. We're encouraging one another. How do I help you? How can I make your life better? What can I do to serve you? Who's ever been down and you felt like nobody even cared? I had a man call me about two years ago, tears, bawling. I could already understand what he was saying. And finally, when I, when I got him calmed down enough, he said, do you realize if I died today, it could be three weeks before anybody knew I wasn't alive anymore? He honestly believed that. And I had to talk with him real straight about some things. I won't get into the conversation. But I was close enough to him to talk to him real, real straight. And really, I wanted to prick some things in his heart and try to challenge him in some areas in his life. Here's the deal. There's enough people around us that are struggling that don't need to. And if they understood the truth that you've been taught for the last 10 weeks, 
their life would be completely different. My question is, what are you going to do with the truth you've been taught for the last 10 weeks? Can I tell you that all the information, all the stuff that God's poured into you was not for your own personal consumption? I, I need to do this. I know it's break time, but let me take you somewhere. It's really, really important that we get this. Everything that's been poured into you was so that you could be broken and given. So you could be broken and given. Follow this. If anybody's ever studied geography, Israel's divided into five states. Do you guys know that? There's five states in Israel. There's, 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 remember that Jesus was from Galilee, right? Up Nazareth in the northern province. The, the whole country is divided by a river. What's the river? The Jordan. Come on, the Jordan, right? The Jordan River. And if you follow the Jordan River, it actually comes as a, it's out of a fountainhead in the mountains to the north. They come out of Galilee. It comes down through, the middle province was what? Samaria. And below Samaria was what? Judea. Okay, so you have three provinces on the left, states or provinces. On the right, there's two more, Decapolis and Perea. Y'all follow that? Okay, it's divided by the River Jordan. If you follow the River Jordan, it comes down. It comes out of the mountainhead. There's a fountainhead in the mountains. It comes down through, and it runs into a sea. It's called the Sea of Tibet. It's called the Sea of Tiberias. It's called the Sea of Galilee. You can call it whatever you want to. The Lake Genesaret. It's all the same body of water. You'll find different names for it in the Bible, but it's the Sea of Galilee, right? It's a thriving metropolis sea. Fishermen go there. That's where Peter, James, and John were all fishermen. This is where these guys were. This is where they made their living. This is where Jesus walks on the water. We're familiar with the Sea of Galilee. It's very thriving. The river comes out of the south side. It comes in from the north, feeds the Sea of Galilee, comes out of the south, goes down a little bit farther. It actually gets to a very dismal place. Sometimes, the, 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 you know the Jordan River, you can, some places you can actually jump from one side to the other across the river. Looks more like the Conoquinesson Creek. Okay, <laughs> okay, you know what I mean? There's a place where you can just do that. But watch this, okay? In the process of that, it empties out in its southern extremity where? into the Dead Sea. And from the Dead Sea, it goes where? Nowhere. It just stops. The same water that's thriving in the Sea of Galilee is dead in the Salt Sea or the Dead Sea. It's the same water. Nothing lives there. Why? Because it has no outlet. Good word, preacher. Do you understand what I just said? Come on, it's the same water. Here it's thriving. Why? Because it comes in from the north and goes out from the south. Down here it's stagnant and dies. Filled with salt, nothing lives. Why? No outlet. Y'all follow what I just said, right? You need to hear that. Because I'm going to tell you something. Everything that's been poured into you will thrive if you pour it back out. And you will become... Come on, oh, broken and given. You give, and I'm going to tell you something, this thing's going to thrive. But if you just keep it for your own personal consumption with no outlet, it will shrivel up and die in you. And six months from now, you'll be no different than you were six months ago. That's a word. You need to hear my heart in that. There's a place where we deliver what's been poured into us. I love the Apostle Paul's phrase. That which was delivered unto me, I deliver unto you. That in the same night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples. It was delivered unto me, I deliver it unto you. Why? He understood what it was to be blessed, broken, and given. Who could say it better than the Apostle Paul? Was he broken? You better believe it. He laid down his life for this gospel. What are you saying? There's a place where we understand brokenness. Where we understand that we're broken to be given. 
That was a good word. I'm going to let you go. There's a break time. Come on back in when bells ring and music plays and whatever happens. Okay. I'm going to take a scripture and tear it apart. I want to know, how does it affect my Tuesday afternoon? And that's the phrase I use a lot is, how does it affect my Tuesday afternoon? I, I want my... I've, I've, I've talked with people a lot of counseling this way, but my Sunday has to affect my Tuesday. If my Sunday's not affecting my Tuesday, there's something wrong with my Sunday. Uh, there's a place where I, I've got to allow, I've got to allow my, my devotion this morning to affect my afternoon, to touch my evening. Y'all understand what I'm saying? So I can get all kind of knowledge and get all puffed up, but if it doesn't change my life, what good is it? Y'all follow what I'm saying, right? And you know, that's really the, the thrust, and that's where my heart is, is that we've got to understand if I'm, if I'm going to get this thing, how's it going to change my life? How's it going to affect me in the long run? What does that look like in the big picture? And what is the big picture? You know what I mean? Sometimes I, I want to say this. I don't know how many times. For, maybe it works this way for you, but I don't know how many times in my life the big picture has changed. <laughs> And I think it's still changing. I'm not sure that that's not a changing picture for the rest of my life. But the big picture just keeps changing. But the idea is, is that I got to know that what I'm gleaning, because remember what we just talked about, the river, the whole, the lake and the, and the sea and how that all affects us. That's got to be a part of the fabric of us. Everything that's poured into me is never poured into me for my personal consumption. It's poured into me so I can give it away. I'm blessed to be broken and given. Okay, so my given part has to become, we've talked about being blessed, we've talked about being broken, but the given part, if I'm being broken, it's simply so that I can give. What does that look like, being given? If God's doing something in my life to change me, I believe that he's doing it to change me so I can affect you. Does that make sense? Watch this, Jeanette, that very powerful thing that she said a little while ago, God, you either got to change me or change my husband. You hear that? Yeah. Now, how many of us know in that prayer we're wishing it would be the husband? <laughs> Come on. Come on. That's the reality. We're wishing it would be him. You know what I mean? Some, and and I, I, so admire, I so admire the wording of the prayer because it allowed God the opportunity to change me. Because usually the prayer is God changed my husband. He needs changed. He's messed up. Look at him. Oh my gosh, do something with him. He's a disaster. I can't even believe I'm married. You know, and we can get into all that kind of stuff and we're projecting now on everybody around us. When really the reality is God changed me. In counseling, and I go through this all the time in counseling, but watch this. You'll come into a counseling session. It'll be, I'm just going to pick it. It's a man and he comes to me to complain about his wife, right? Because how many know a lot of times a man will come to a pastor and complain about his wife? Right? So he's complaining about his wife and he's telling you, oh my gosh, my wife is this, my wife is that, my wife is that, and God did that. And, and, and when he's all done, I say, okay, so what can you change to make things different? Well, she needs to do this and she needs to do that and she needs to do this and she needs to do that. And if she'd only do this and she'd do that and whatever. And I said, no, 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 you missed it. What can you change? Because you don't have the ability to change her. If you did, you'd have never made it to my office. Do you understand what I just said? If you had the ability to change her, you'd have never came to my office. It had already been changed. We wouldn't even have a problem if you had the ability to change her. But you don't have the ability to change her, but you do have the ability to change you. Everybody understand what I just said? So what can you do different? Because if you keep doing the same thing, but you expect a different response, that's the definition of insanity, and you're just going to go nuts, right? So what's the deal? Change me. Hear a prayer? Lord, either change him or change me. Watch this. There's a place where she's saying, I'm willing to be broken 
change me, right? Because watch this, if you change me, it will affect him. How many understand what I just said? If you change me, it will affect him. If you change me, it'll affect her. Watch this. This is a huge deal. But the, the truth of the matter is, is that you do have the ability to change you. So sometimes our prayer simply has to be, God, break me and give me. Right? Change me. Because I believe this. Watch this. The, uh, the amount of your brokenness will determine the amount of your givenness. You understand what I just said? Why? Because the more pieces you break me in, the more pieces there are to give away. Does that make sense? Y'all follow what I just said? I want to be broken to be given. Jesus makes a very powerful statement. This is my body. Right? He lifts the bread up toward heaven. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it. This is my body. I really believe he's still saying that to the world. This is my body. I've blessed them to break them, to give them, to change the world. That's so powerful. Oh, my goodness, that just messes me up. Hold on. That's good. Okay. okay. We're good now. Okay. Yeah. Got to get it somewhere. Listen. Okay. It's, it is... It is such a powerful thing to me. It, it really is. This is my body. Blessed, broken, to be given. If I was to ask you, do you really believe the church is impacting modern America, how would you respond to that? Limited. Very limited. I think we're making an impact. I think there's some inroads, but it's limited. I think we're, I think we're, we're, we're working to recapture some mountains that we've lost. I think, I think there's some things that are happening. I, I appreciate some of the dynamics that are setting up and seemingly to be in place. I really believe there's a move, but I don't think we're impacting the country the way we need to. And there's nobody beating a path to our door. I got to, well, I'll leave it alone. Blessed, broken, given. I think if we were more broken and given... We'd be making a bigger impact. Do you understand what I just said? Teach us what that looks like, Lord. Teach us what it looks like to be broken and given. That's the big part. Okay? Now watch this. Because if, if I can catch this, and I'll, I'll talk to you about it. But there's a, there's a place where this. I believe the more I change, the more the people around me are going to change. I think the degree of your change has a direct influence on the degree of change of the people around you. I honestly believe that. So watch this. You're a married woman. Your husband, uh, what does 1 Corinthians 7 say? Your husband might be an unbeliever, but stay with him because your life can affect his to the place where he's going to get changed. That's 1 Corinthians 7. That's straight out of the book. He's saying the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. Lest are your children unclean. That's a very powerful statement. I won't even get into that right now. But I want to talk to you about some things because there's some very powerful things there. I believe the degree of change that takes place in my life will radically impact and, 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 and it, will, it will negotiate the degree of change in the people around me. That means this. They have the opportunity to change, but that doesn't mean they will. 
Why? Because they still have a free will. Just because I change doesn't mean you're going to change. But watch this. If my life changes, there's a direct influence on your life. You have to decide how much. You get to determine how much I'm going to influence your life. But I believe that if my life is changing, it will have an impact on you. Why? Because, you know what, if, if my life is gaining light and you're standing in darkness, guess what? My light is going to infringe upon your darkness. Amen. What you determine to do with that is entirely up to you. You may simply leave more distance between me and you. That's your choice. But I've already impacted you because you had to make a choice to stay at a distance. Y'all follow what I just said? So in that... There's a place where we ask ourselves some serious questions. And the, and the truth of the matter is, and it comes back to Jeanette's prayer, God change me or him, preferably him, but if not me. <laughs> but there's some truth to that. There's a place where we purpose in our heart to allow God to change us. Can I say this? God won't change you if you don't allow him. It's not going to violate your heart or take away your, your free will. I had a man come to me. He was very mad at God. Because he believed that God was going to change his wife. Because she was making some bad choices and he had been praying. Told me buckets of tears. Yet she still chose, it was a, their, their marriage was splitting up. And she still chose to walk away. And he would prayed and fasted and believed God. And got prayer partners and anointed the house. And prayed over the bed and anointed the bed sheets. And I mean, I'm talking about the whole deal. You know, all the stuff, right? Watch this. All the stuff we would be sure would work. And then she still chose to leave him. And he was very mad at God. Then he come to me, and, and I started talking to him about walking in a place of, a, a, of just believing and staying in faith. And he said, well, it works for you, but it didn't work for me. And he was angry, visibly angry. It didn't work for me. I said, it's not abracadabra, make a wish. Right? I said, tell me what happened. She still chose to walk away. I said, so you think if you pray, God will take away her free will. You understand what I just said? Because if God takes away her free will, He's going to take away your free will. He's going to take away my free will and everybody else's free will. And now we're just a bunch of robots with no choice. I don't think God's going to ever take away her free will. I said, I believe God will send the Holy Spirit. I believe God will speak to her heart. I believe God will move in an amazing way. But everybody still gets to make choices. The fact of the matter is, let me talk to you real straight. One of the greatest challenges we have in the body of Christ is we've messed up the whole sovereignty issue. We need to settle some things. We need to settle some things in the body of Christ. I have been to funerals. I've been to place after place and time after time where I've heard people say, well, it must have been God's will. God's in control. He knows what he's doing. Right? I, I went and buried a 19-year-old boy who was riding a motorcycle at 125 miles an hour and wrecked and killed himself on a road, right? 125 miles an hour was recorded, right? Loses control, smashes into a tree and dies. Now watch this. I'm at the funeral home listening to people say, well, God knows what he's doing. What, all the stupid phrases, God needed another angel in heaven. <laughs> I think he's got enough. He's not going to take your 17-year-old boy or 19-year-old boy. Must have been God's will, right? Because the sovereignty of God, God made a sovereign decision. It's an executive decision. He's sitting at a desk and says, I'm taking him, right? That, that's really the way we view that sometimes. That's so crazy. How many know the boy made a choice? Do you understand that? The boy made a choice 
that did something wrong. We live and die by the choices we make. Who's ever heard that? Come on, it's truth. Exodus chapter 30, what's he say? I said, he said, talking to Moses, I said before you, life and death, blessing and cursing, and you get to choose. Life and death aren't in the power of God's tongue. They're in the power of your tongue. It's not about his executive choice. It's about decisions that you and I make. And oftentimes it's about our choice, not God's choice. But God honors the choices that we make. We still get to choose. Watch this. You can choose to walk away. You can get frustrated. You prayed for Aunt Sally and she died. That's it. I'm never praying for anybody again. Come on, who's ever been there? You don't know how many times I've counseled with people who are mad because Aunt Sally died and it's God's fault. I'm standing in a hospital. It's a true story. I'm standing in a hospital room. A guy's about 437 pounds. Every day for lunch, he ate two Big Macs. Every day. Every day for lunch, two Big Macs, a large fry, and a milkshake. Every day. Five days a week, same meal for years. Now he's got a heart attack. And the family has joined hands. And they're gathered around the bed. And you know what they're praying? They're saying, they said, come on, Pastor, you can stand with us. I said, what's going on? We're going to pray. We're not letting the devil take our dad. I said, man, I don't know if I can even blame the devil for this one. And they looked at me and got angry. But how many understand? Do you understand what I was trying to teach them? I'm not sure I can blame the devil for this one. That man ate two Big Macs and large fry and a milkshake every day for years. Maybe it wasn't the devil. Maybe the man was just making a bad choice. Everybody hear what I'm saying? Please hear what I'm at. I'm not being harsh. But there's a lot of this. We blame God. We blame the devil for choices that we make. Y'all follow where I'm at? I'm preaching now. But there's a place where we've got to make some decisions and good ones. I don't know how I got here, but I'm having fun. <laughs> I'll get back in a minute. We're blessed to be broken and given. Everybody follow what I'm saying? What I want to ask you is, what's the given part look like in your life? How's given looking for you? How are we impacting the world around us? How are we making a difference? How are we making an impact? How are we... How, is your community a better place because you're in it? That's a good word. That's a good word right there. Is your community a better place because you live there? Is the world a better place because you're a part of it? This is huge to me. Jesus is walking with his disciples, right? He has taught them, trained them. He has spent three and a half years where he's poured into them and poured into them and poured into them. Why? So they could be broken and given. You understand that? He blessed them so he could break them and give them. That's huge. This is my body. Blessed, broken, given. That's huge to me. Watch this. Go to John 13. Kelly, you had something. I'm sorry. I actually forgot about it you said that. That's okay. Um, God just really laid it on my heart that I needed to share something that I have been going through. Um, my son, me and I've never been a mother to my son except from when he was born up to until he was two years old and his father was killed. And then my addiction had started. So our relationship has been very, very difficult. Um, in the past two years, God has been changing me. And since I've been coming to the school, um, he's rapidly changed me in the love aspect. Um, I had a hard time loving myself. Therefore, I have a hard time loving others. 
to a, a certain extent. Sure. Um, and I just kept praying for God to turn my heart and to be a mother that is nurturing to her son and to help me tell him and show him that I love him. Um, and he, for the past month or two, he has been calling me every night wanting to come and stay with me. Um, and I fasted for the very first time. And he's, he came to me and asked me for help because he's a He's an addict. He has been for four years and he's only 14. Um, and he came to me and he got honest and he said, I know that you're the one that can help me. And that to me right there showed me that one, God is working in my life. For two, fasting does work. <laughs> 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 and that I am changing because he's seeing the change in me. And he's, he's being drawn more to yeah. me because of that change. Um, and he, he's in rehab right now, and I went up to see him Sunday, and he said he went to a Bible study, and he said, but I don't understand the Bible that they give me. I said, you need my Bible, my recovery Bible. Okay. Um, so, like, and I, like, I'll talk to him about God once in a, once in a while, and he's like, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in heaven or hell, and I'm like, that's okay, because you're amazing anyway. <laughs> and so, like, me, like, sowing that seed into him whenever I could, it, it, did something in his mind so I just I just to share that I think that's pretty cool and do you understand what she was saying is the stuff that's being poured into her she's now able to pour out you weren't in a position where you could help him before but now God's changing rapidly and as he's changing me I'm going to impact the people that are around me yay God why because it's not for my personal consumption it's I'm broken to give it away yay <laughs> it's just so fun and if we can get that picture Here's the neat thing about God. The more you give away, the more you get. What? Give, and it shall be given unto you. You follow what I just said? Give, and it shall be given unto you. It's Luke 6 and 38. If you think that's a scripture about money, you're twisted. Okay? Because if you study that in this context, it's not even dealing with finances. Does the application hit finances? I'm sure it does. But in that application, it's actually talking about a whole bunch of other things. It's talking about love, mercy, and forgiveness. It's talking about grace. It's talking about the more that's poured into you, the more you give away, the more will get poured into you. I think it's amazing. Paul actually does this with Timothy, his spiritual son. He says, the things that you have seen and heard in me, commit thou to faithful men that they may tell others also. What was he saying? Everything I poured into you, go out there and pour it into others. So they'll go out and pour it into others. So they'll go out and pour it into others. It wasn't Amway that came up with the idea. <laughs> it's in the book 2,000 years ago. It's pretty amazing. You got it? Oh, blessed, broken, and given. Do you get this? Are we at John 13? Did I say go to John 13? I feel like Dan. I can turn to a scripture and be an hour. Okay, <laughs> okay watch this. Go to John 13. Here's, it's the anointing in, the, in, the, in this room. <laughs> John 13 is very powerful verses, but watch this. This is what we call, who's ever been in a foot washing service? Have, have most all of you? No, most of you really haven't. It's amazing. For years, I was in an organization where you, didn't, you, you weren't allowed to take communion if you didn't wash feet. Because of the, at the end, at verse 17, it says, happy are you if you do these things. And we felt like that meant communion and feet washing, okay? Because there's a link between the two. So you, if, you didn't, if you didn't do feet washing, you couldn't partake of the communion, okay? And that was a twisted way of looking at things. I'm not getting hard or anything, but watch this. But there's a place where feet washing is really an amazing, it's amazing. 
And I understand that it's ceremonial, but you've got to understand there's a principle behind it that's outrageous. It's just amazing. I want you to walk through this with you. Remember that they just ate the Passover. Who's there? Jesus and the 12. You've got to understand something, that there's a whole bunch of dynamics that are taking place in the room. And you, can I tell you that if I talk about spiritual atmospheres, are you guys okay with that? You can walk into a place and sense the atmosphere of the Spirit in place, right? Yeah. You know what the spirit, the spiritual atmosphere in Jerusalem might have been that night? Come on, this is all hell coming against heaven. Are, are you with me? You following what I'm saying? I mean, the forces of darkness are raging everywhere. And in the middle of that, Jesus is in an upper room with a group of, of his disciples. The chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees are already planning. There's all kind of plotting that's going on. They've already sought for ways to kill him. These are final moments. How many of you know, just a, a few days ago, he walks in and comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And what are they yelling? Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? The whole crowd is shouting what's going to happen in just a few moments. They're going to shift. And the same crowd who shouted Hosanna on Sunday is going to shout crucify him on Friday. Why? The spiritual dynamics in the place have changed. I don't know if you understand how powerful that phrase is. But I'm going to tell you, one of the things I'll tell you is real, real important. I don't have time to teach it right now. Maybe we'll get into it later. But according to Matthew chapter 10, you have a right to control the atmosphere. Everything that's inside of you is greater than everything that's around you. Oh, that's good. That which is in you is greater than that which is around you. You've got to catch that. Because according to Matthew chapter 10, he says, when you come into a house, salute it. Let your peace come upon the house. What's he saying? You have a right to change the atmosphere everywhere you go. Because you're a carrier of his presence. You change the dynamics. The dynamics don't change you. But the spiritual dynamics in Jerusalem at this point are just really, really, I mean, it's just full. And in the process of that, Jesus is with his disciples. They're in an upper room. They've, they've just eaten the Passover. Everything about the Passover is pointing to him. I won't drink of the cup of the vine until it be fulfilled. What? The Passover is about to be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I'll drink with you anew in the kingdom of God on the earth. What? He said, I'm ushering back in the kingdom. I've been preaching, repent, change the way you think the kingdom is within reach. But on this moment, the change of the dynamics are happening and a new dispensation is going to be ushered in. I'll drink with you in just a few days. The kingdom of God's being reestablished. Do you get that? Everything's changing right now. The dynamics are full. In the process, he takes bread, he blesses it, breaks it, gives it to his disciples. This is my body, take and eat. This is my blood, the cup of the New Testament in my blood, shed for the remission of many. Take it, drink of it, all of you. It's huge. Now go to John 13, look at verse 4. When supper was ended, when supper was ended, he laid aside a garment, his garment, took a towel and a basin. Now let me read it, okay? He rises from supper, laid aside his garment, took a towel, girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, you're going to wash my feet? Why, why, does it, why does that even say that? I want to show you this. Uh, I think some of you probably know this. Some of you may not know this. You need to know this. Washing feet wasn't something that just started here. That's something that happened all the time. Remember when Jesus went to a house called, of a man named Simon? Not Simon the leper, but he went to another Simon's house. That's where they poured the alabaster box on his head. And they were mad at him. They were mad because he'd let this woman use this. And if he knew what kind of woman she was, and there was all kinds of things they were trying to pick. Remember his rebuke to Simon? What's one of the things he tells him? He said, when I came into your house, did you wash my feet? No, but this woman's washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Why did he say that? Because it was the custom 
that when you came as a visitor into a home as an honor to you, the servant, the lowest servant in the house would come and wash your feet and dry them with a the towel. They had sandals. Some of them didn't even have sandals and went barefoot. So it wasn't unusual to have a, ta- a basin there where they would wash your feet and clean your feet for you. But that was the lowest servant in the house who did that job. Everybody follow what I just said? So Jesus now takes on him the form of a servant, right? The lowest servant. He lays aside his garment, right? And now he puts on the, ser- the lowest servant. He girds himself with a towel, and now he's going around and he's washing their feet. I'm sure their heads are spinning. Why are you doing this? But nobody has the courage to ask till he comes to this guy with a big mouth. Okay? <laughs> okay? You know Peter had a mouth shaped like a foot? Never mind. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. But, but here's what happened. He's, he's now comes to Peter, and, and at this point, Peter says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Why? Because you, you're not taking that place of lowest servant over me. Do you understand what he's saying? You're, I'm your servant. You're not mine. Can you picture the atmosphere in the room? They're seated there. Wondering, what's he doing? He comes to Simon Peter. Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you don't know now. But you'll understand later. Everybody see that? What I'm doing right now, you're not going to even get this. But in a little while, you're going to get it. There's going to be revelation after revelation come to you, Peter. Peter said to him, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. I'll never let you wash my feet. You can't take that low servant's place in my life. I'm here to serve you. You're not here to serve me. Jesus, picture this. He's kneeling before him. He's got the basin. He's got the towel. And Peter's pulling his feet back. And Jesus is reaching for his feet. Come on, Peter. Let me wash your feet. Lord, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus looks up into him. And can you picture their eyes locking at this moment? If I don't wash your feet, Peter, you're going to have no part with me. Peter looks at him and still perplexed, has no clue what's going on. Come on. Is he clueless? Come on, that was my spiritual gift for years, cluelessness. (laughs) I flowed in the gift of cluelessness. (laughs) Peter was flowing in the spiritual gift of cluelessness right here. He has no idea what's going on. But Jesus is going to wash his feet. He says to him, he says, Peter, if I, if I don't wash your feet, I, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. Well, you'll we'll have no part with me. Peter says, don't just wash my feet. Wash my hands. Wash my head. Give me a bath if you need to, man. I'm going to submit to your will. Do you understand? There's a place of brokenness for Peter to even allow Jesus to do this. Because everything inside of him was rising up saying, you can't do this. You can't do this. Why are you doing this? Peter's in a place of incredible submission right here. Because he doesn't understand this. But he's saying, Lord, if this is what you want to do in my life, go ahead and do it. Does anybody see that? God, teach us what that looks like. How many times have you been in a place of cluelessness? Where you don't understand what God's doing. But God, if this is what you want to do in my life, I'm submitting and yielding myself to you. Go ahead. Take it all. Because that's what I hear Peter saying. Go ahead, take it all. Not just my feet. Do do my hands. Do my head. Give me a bath. I'll go start the water. Whatever you want me to do. But uh, if this is the will of God, then go ahead and do this in my life. 
There are places in our life where we don't always, can I say this? Have you had a whole lot of places in your life where you didn't understand what God was doing? Good. Okay. <laughs> I so didn't want to be alone on this one. <laughs> I live in the realm of mystery. I live with more questions than answers. And every time I seem to get an answer, it raises two new questions. <laughs> I can't get ahead. But here's the deal when it comes right down to this, and this is the reality, is Peter doesn't understand. He just simply says, Lord, if this is what you want to do, then go ahead. I don't understand this right now. That's what Jesus was saying, though. He was saying, listen, Peter, what I'm doing now, you might not understand, but in a little while, you'll get the revelation. What's the revelation? The revelation was servant leadership. It's the power of the towel. It's the power of the basin. God, teach us what the towel and the basin are really all about. I want to walk you through the next couple of verses because I think they're incredible. Watch what happens. Simon Peter said to him Lord not my feet only but also my hands and my head verse 10 Jesus said to him he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet but is clean every whit and you are clean but not all why Judas is still in the room can you picture him washing Judas's feet can you imagine the way Judas's heart must be racing right now Come on, walk this through with me for just a minute. He's washing Judas' feet. Judas has already covenanted for 30 pieces of silver to sell him out. It's the climax of everything that's been prophesied since the fall of man. It's coming right down to the wire. This is a heavy moment. Remember that I talked about the spiritual atmosphere in Jerusalem. You've got to know what that was like. You ever walk into some weird places? Did I talk to you about walking into a witch, to a, to a satanic bookstore in Allentown? That's like the weird, that, when I think about it, that's what I think of. But there's a place where, where that's just weird. Judas has, everything's got to be buzzing inside of him as Jesus washes his feet. Picture that. He's taking the water and he's putting it over his feet. He's taking the towel and he's drying it. They're getting the dirt all off of there. More water, a little more dirt. Come on, you can wash the dirt off my feet, but what about my heart? Y'all follow where I'm at? Judas's heart's got to be really moved right now. What am I doing? But he's trying to force the hand of God. That's really, remember I talked about that. He's really trying to force the hand of God. He's a zealot. He wants to overthrow this kingdom. His heart's already not in the right place. Why? He's been a thief for years. He's been stealing from the church. Come on. But he's doing this, and everybody around him sees it. I want you to go with me. Watch this. Jesus is washing his feet. So after he had washed their feet and taken his garments and was set down again, he says to them, do you know what I just did? Everybody see that? Know ye what I've done unto you? He's saying, do you know what I've just done? You call me master and Lord, and you say, well, because I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I've done to you. What's he saying? There's a place where we serve one another. If you feel like you're too good to scrub floors, you need to go scrub a floor. 
You understand what I just said? There's a place where we understand what it is to serve one another. I was listening to Pastor Dan yesterday a little bit. He talked about you don't scrub a toilet to work your way up. You scrub a toilet because the toilet needs scrubbed. You just see what needs done and you just do it. You look for ways to serve. You look for ways to help. It's Thursday night. It's the end of school. And you know tables got to go down and be put away. But you're like, well, they can do it. That's the wrong attitude. You're a part of the they. Just do it because it needs done. You don't need somebody to ask you what needs done. Let me tell you a true story. It's an amazing true story. I learned a ton from this true story. Lady named, and I'll give you all the names because it doesn't matter. They're all dead anyway. <laughs> but I was in Battle Creek, <laughs> I was in Battle Creek, Michigan in the mid-80s. I'm sorry, the mid-90s. And uh, lady's name was Dorothy Blaylock. And Dorothy Blaylock had a, a real bad pulmonary trouble, pulmonary disease. And she'd gotten real bad, got laid up, and had to have a, a little bit of a surgery and a couple other things. And it was complicated by her lungs and some other issues that were going on. And so she was laid up. She was raising some grandchildren because the, the parents had messed up and the grandkids were pretty much living with grandma and grandpa. Her husband's name was Silas. And Silas wasn't, he was a hard working man, but he wasn't much of a help to her in a lot of ways. And one of the church ladies, and it was, there were two different church ladies that showed up. They were both named Reba, and you just don't meet a lot of Rebas. But Reba Paris showed up there. And Reba Paris was trying to do the right thing. She went to Dorothy's house. She stopped into Dorothy's. And when she stopped into Dorothy's house, she talked to her a little bit. And she said to her, she, she's telling her all about what's going on in church and what's going on with this and what's going on with that. And, and, and she says to her, she said, now listen, Dorothy, if you need anything, you let me know and, and we'll try to help you out. Just let me know if you need anything, right? Everybody hear what I said? She's blessing her. Walked out, prayed with her and left. Nice thing to do. Reba Hammonds came in. When Reba Hammonds came in, as soon as she walked in, she saw Dorothy laying on the couch, and it's an open room, and the kitchen's right there. And she said, she talked to Dorothy for just a little bit, and she said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. We'll just keep talking, but I'm going to go over here and wash your dishes while we talk, because the sink was full of dishes. While she's washing the dishes, she saw that there was a load, the, the, the bifold doors in the washer dryer. You all know what I mean? Off the kitchen, right? Clothes everywhere. Let me throw a load of clothes in while I'm washing the dishes because then when I'm done, I can throw them in the dryer, right? So now she's washing up the dishes. The clothes are washing. Finishes up the dishes. The clothes have gotten done. They're still talking, having conversation. She throws them in the dryer while they're drying and they're talking. She's letting Dorothy's helping her out with some food and some different things. Now I'm going to get your sweeper. I'm going to run the vacuum cleaner for you while we're still talking, right? You understand what I just said? Watch this. First, Reba. If you need anything, let me know. The second Reba looked around and said, you need everything. Right? Nobody has to call you to tell you what needs done. You walk into the room and see it needs done, do it. Anybody follow what I'm saying? There's a place where we serve one another. The lady's laid up on the couch. She can't move. There's clothes that need thrown in the washer. There's dishes that are piled this high. There's the, the carpet needs swept. It's obvious. It's not been swept for several days. There's three grandchildren in the house. Who knows? If you have three grandchildren in the house, the carpet needs swept. Come on. There's just some things that are just obvious. So there's a place where we serve one another. You don't have to look for something. I mean, you don't have to wait for somebody to tell you what to do. Sometimes it's just obvious. It's in front of you. And you just serve. Because it's in your heart to serve. And watch this. You don't serve so that they'll make a phone call 
and tell everybody about what nice things you just did. You just serve because it's in your heart to serve. Because God gave you a servant's heart. Jesus didn't wash their feet, so it would be recorded one day that, hey, he washed their feet. <laughs> They'll all think I'm special because I washed their feet. No. He was teaching them there's a place where we serve. There's a place where we love. There's a place where we reach out and serve, where compassion rules in our heart. We're not waiting. Watch this. I'm going to talk to you real plain. There's a place where a husband comes home. And he might have had a tough day, but he realizes his wife had a tough day. So instead of expecting her to go cook dinner while he sits in the chair, maybe he helps and cooks dinner. Or maybe better yet, he has dinner ready when she walks in the door. What an amazing day. I bet she'd kiss you right in the face. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? There's a place where we serve one another. Maybe it ought to start at home. Maybe it'll start at home. Maybe it'll start. Maybe it'll start with our family. Maybe we learn to love, honor, and respect all men. Maybe there's a place for that. Maybe that's really what Jesus was teaching: was if serve. If you're going to lead, lead from serving. Show the way. Lead from the front. If you want people to serve, show them how. Be the example. Be the model. Do this thing. My daughter told me the other day we were talking and hear this the right way. But this has been on my heart for a couple of weeks, this whole idea of serving. And she said she was standing at the, she runs the cafe on Sundays and she was standing at the cafe and there was a man talking to her and he was being very, very nice and said some nice things. And one of the things that he said to her is, I just love your dad. Because if you see his heart, you know that we know. He said, he said, I know. If I called him at 3 o'clock in the morning and needed him, he would jump out of bed and be there by 3.10. And she said, yeah, he would. And he said, it's just in his heart like that all the time. And she said to him, you know what he's doing? And the guy said, what? He said, modeling. Please hear that the right way. I'm not trying to toot horns or anything of that nature. What I'm simply saying is this, that for all of us, we have got to become the model for the world to see. Because if we fail to model this thing, the world will never know the majesty of the gospel. We can't fail to model this thing. We have got to walk out this thing. Jesus takes a towel, girds himself, pours water in a basin, is washing their feet. Do you know what I've done? Do you know what I've done? That's what he says to them. Know ye what I've done unto you. Let me read this just a little bit more. I want you to see this. This is so cool. You call me master and Lord, you say, well, for so I am. If I, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. This is the example. Serve one another. Find ways to serve one another. Watch what he says. Verily I say unto you, the servant's not greater than his Lord, neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Isn't that amazing? Does that speak volumes to you? You mean you can be happy by serving people? Absolutely. I believe it's the greatest joy in the world. I believe it's better to give than to receive. I read it in a really good book. I'm friends with the author. <laughs> There's a place 
where we study. I'm, I'm t- this has got to become real. So here's the deal. It's about how do we serve? How do we make somebody else's life better? What can we do to bless the people that are around us? How can I be a blessing in your life? How can I, how can I make your life? It's not how, what, do you, what can you do for me. It's what can I do for you? Everybody gets that, right? Now watch. Because what do they do immediately after this? They sing a hymn. Right? Go back to Matthew 26. This is huge to me. In Matthew 26, verse 30, when they sang a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus says to them, All you will be offended because of me this night. It's written, I'll smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am risen again, I'll go before you into Galilee. Everybody see that? After I'm risen again, right? Does he say that? Do you know how many times he told them he's going to die and rise again? You know what they heard? He's going to die. (laughs) He told them like three different occasions on the third day I'm rising again. Told them third day. If they'd have got that, how many know they'd have had tents camped out? They'd have been waiting for third day, man. Come on. They'd have been like, they'd have, they'd have been hot dog vendors. Come on, see this resurrection here. Get your hot dogs. You know what I mean? They'd have had a crowd of people. I got past that, by the way. Listen, okay. <laughs> All these things would have happened. It would have been an amazing time if they'd have just got the message. They missed the message. Wonder how many times we missed the message. How many of you are understanding things now that for 30 years you were in the body of Christ you didn't even understand? Then you get frustrated, like, how did I not get that? Can you picture the disciples after the resurrection? How did we not get that? (laughs) They have to be there. Come on. That's the reality of that. After I'm risen again, I'll go before you into Galilee. That's amazing to me, right? Let me tell you what happens. I won't read all this, but I want to walk you through. It's kind of neat. If you study the harmony of the Gospels, where we put all the Gospels together, they sing a hymn. They're actually going to come down out of, the, out of the upper room. They're going to come through Jerusalem and out the western gate. You know where the western gate leads to? The Kidron Valley over to Gethsemane. Because aren't they going to Gethsemane? They're going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's where Jesus prays the incredible prayer, Father, not my will, right? Watch this. On their way to Gethsemane, guess where they're going? Through the Kidron Valley. You know what the Kidron Valley is famous for? The ancient grapevines. It's in the Kedron Valley for centuries, for, for generations and generations. They grow grapes, incredible grapes there. You know why I tell you that? Because when he goes through there, guess what he does? He kneels down, he picks up a pot of grapes, holds them in his hand, and he looks at his disciples. You know what he says? I'm the vine, you're the branches. It's John 15. If you read it in his context, this is where it's taking place. He's on his way to Gethsemane. He's got a grape pot in his hand, and he's telling him, look, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Talks to him about four kinds of fruit. There's no fruit, some fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. He says, I'm calling you to bear much fruit. You might get pruned, but it'll only bring more fruit. Why? Because they're about to get pruned. (laughs) I feel like preaching right now. (laughs) It ain't preaching if you don't stomp. (laughs) Here's the deal follow this. This is huge. I'm the vine. You're the branches. He's teaching them. He's showing them. He's walking them through. Where are they going to go? Gethsemane. When they get to Gethsemane, what happens? There's only 11. Why? Judas is already gone. There's 11. Eight of them. He says, stay here and pray. But he takes three more, Peter, James, and John. You guys come with me a little farther. Then what's he say? You guys wait here. Watch and pray. You stay here. Watch and pray. Why? This is the heaviest hour. Come on. Remember I talked about the spiritual climate 
Everything's happening right now. All hell is coming against the church. All hell is coming against Jesus. All the forces of darkness are coming to try to extinguish the light. Watch and pray. Do you understand how important your prayers are? He wouldn't have told him that if it wasn't important. You know what he says? I think it's in Matthew 26. Check it out, verse 36. He comes with them to a place called Gethsemane. Sit here while I go and pray yonder. Took with him Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. He says to them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Tarry here and watch with me. Pray. Right? That's what he's saying. Pray. This is an important moment. I, want you, I need you to watch. I need you to pray. This is so vital. He went a little further. He fell on his face. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What an incredible prayer. You know what he was saying? I'm dead to me. I'm dead to me. If there's any other way, it's great. But if not, it's okay. I'm dead to me. That's a, God teaches what that looks like. Watch this. This is my body. Blessed, broken, given. Not as I will. Come on. I'll go through the breaking because it's not as I will. I need to be given. So I'm giving myself right now in the place of breaking. Is there a place where you give yourself even to the point of breaking? How many of you have done this? I can't take anymore. Come on, we've said it. It's come out of all of our mouths. I'm, it's a blanket statement, but I'm pretty fair to say that. I can't take anymore. Yes, you can. Why? Because you're not living for you. You're living for the people that are around you. Stop it. We've got to crush selfishness. We've got to crush that mentality. There's a place where we've got to crush this and realize, I am blessed to be broken, to be given. Oh, this is so huge. Watch this because it's really good. He said, he said, sit here. I'm going to go pray. My soul's exceeding unto death. Father, if there's any other way, not as I will, but you will. He cometh unto the disciples and find them asleep. So he says to Peter, what? Couldn't you watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. So pray that your flesh isn't weak. Who gets that? Pray that your flesh isn't weak. There's a place where we learn to pray so that our flesh is no longer weak. It's to my flesh. I refuse to allow my flesh to dominate my spirit. There's a place where your flesh wants to dominate your spirit. And the battle in your life is over which is stronger. Your spirit or your flesh. You want to know where every struggle in your life comes from? Dominance. Who's going to dominate your life, your spirit or your flesh? You want what you want or what God wants? I want what God wants, but I want God to want what I want. <laughs> Come on, you know that's true. I want what God wants. I just want God to want what I want. Come on. I want my wife to agree with me. The only time I argue is when she's wrong. Do you understand that? That's, that that's, there's a true statement to that. The only time that Lori and I ever argue is when she's wrong. Because if she was right, I wouldn't be arguing with her. Because in my mind, she's wrong. Do you get what I just said? We do that in life. We do that with God. He says, watch and pray that the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch the next thing, okay? 
He went away again, prayed a second time, Father, if this cup may not pass, let me drink it. Let your will be done. Look at verse 43, because I think it's powerful. He came again and found them asleep again. Look at the next part. For their eyes were heavy. For their eyes were heavy. As a young evangelist, I preached a, a lot of revivals, and one of the messages I preached very prominently was heavy eyes in the final hour. What are the things that are making your eyes heavy that are keeping you from dying out to your flesh? What are the things that are making you tired? What are the things that are, come on. Do you understand that one of the, one of the main principal objects of the enemy is to wear out the saints of the Most High God? It's recorded that way in Revelation. Wear out the saints of the Most High God. To wear you out. To make you heavy-eyed. Did you got it? Their eyes were heavy. I wonder sometimes what it is that makes your eyes heavy. What it is, come on, because you, you did it again and again. Come on, they're just not getting it. You tried to teach them, but they're just not getting it. And you showed them again, but they're just not getting it. And you show them again. And the Lord just keeps telling you, keep loving them. But you're getting tired of loving them because they're not getting it. Who's ever been there? Come on, you know what I'm talking And how many of you know we have a lot more patience with strangers than we do with family? Isn't that something? Like you have more patience with the neighbor kids than your own kids. Like the neighbor kids, you say, it's okay, just go home. And your kids are, stop the fire out of you. Just, what's wrong with you? Because <laughs> we have a lot more patience with somebody else's kids than our own kids sometimes. We have a lot more patience with strangers sometimes than we do with family. They're not getting it. We get tired. Why do we have to keep telling them over and over again? There's a place where we have to get a hold of this message. Their eyes were heavy. It's the most, come on, it's the most climactic time. In the life of Christ, would you say that this moment in time, 30, 33 years he's on the earth, 33 and a half years, for three and a half years he has spent unceasing time with this group, especially the inner circle group. Come on, Peter, James, and John are the closest. And they're sleeping, and their eyes are heavy. Watch and pray. Did he tell them, watch and pray? Over and over he told them, watch and pray. Okay, guys, here's what I need. I'm going to go over here. They know the climate. They're, they're sensitive to that. They know that he's heavy. There's something different, something shifting. And he's going over here to pray. This is a crucial moment, and they fall asleep. He just taught them to serve. What was he teaching them? The Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. He taught them by taking the towel and the basin. Come on, object illustration. Pours water on their feet, washes their feet. If I then, your Lord and Master, have served you, go serve one another. Make sure that we keep a servant's heart. Let's try to bless each other. Let's see what we can do to make somebody else's life better. Follow where I'm at? All those lessons were being taught right here. Very object. Here's the place. We're not here for us. We're here for you. We're here for one another. We're not here just for myself. It's not about me. And now they're sleeping. You get it? It's powerful to me. He wakes them up and says to Peter, what's wrong? Couldn't you even tarry for an hour? Couldn't you pray for an hour? This is the most crucial moment in the history of planet Earth. I'm going to challenge you with some thoughts. Here's some thoughts I want to challenge you with. Is there a place where you look at your own life and you realize there's a lot of things that you've been exercising that are making you tired?
I wonder sometimes if we haven't exhausted ourselves serving ourselves. I'll give you a word. If you have to strive to make it happen, it's probably not God. Doesn't mean the enemy's not going to put up roadblocks, and you've got to be able to discern that, so I want to be careful what I say. I will tell you some things. As a pastor for 29 years now, I had the 29th anniversary of pastoral ministry the 1st of August. I didn't realize that until the other day. But I have found that I have found myself in project after project that sometimes totally challenged me only to find out that the reason it challenged me is because God wasn't in it. It was a good idea. It wasn't God's idea. I found myself tired and exhausted. And some of it was because I was trying to get God to come and join me in doing my thing rather than finding out what God was doing and joining him in his thing. Did y'all hear that? That's a big word right there. Sometimes we've got to find out what God's doing and go join him. It's a whole, I love that phrase. I'm, if there's one New Testament phrase that's more challenging to me than any other, Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father do. I'm very challenged by that statement because he said, follow me. That means I ought to be doing what I see the Father doing. There's a place where we can live in that. There's a place where we can walk in that. Their eyes are heavy. They're sleeping. He said, watch this. This is so strong. Okay. He left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And he come to his disciples and he said, sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise and let's be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. I want to come back to verse 46. Rise, let us be going. Is there a place where he's speaking to the church today? Let's rise and start going. What are we going to do? Serve the world around us. There's a place where we learn to serve, where we see what needs done. Watch this. Can I talk to you just from a pastoral standpoint? We have 11 babies in the nursery, and I've only got a small handful of people that are willing to watch them every week. Why? Because I'd much rather be in here. I want to be in the nursery with the babies when I could be in the worship and in the Word and celebrate. There's a party going on in here. But there's a need represented over there. But sometimes God raises it up in our hearts. Watch this. If I only have four people that are willing to staff the nursery, then they've got to do it once every four weeks. But what if I had 20 people that would be willing to take one turn? Everybody follow what I just said? Then it becomes once every 20 weeks. Y'all follow what I just said right there? One example out of a thousand. But I want to just talk with you. Because sometimes I'm so busy trying to satisfy me and what I need that sometimes I miss the bigger picture. Why am I here? Remember what I said a little while ago? My pastor friend, very evangelistic heart, get people saved. I felt like my job was to tell them why they're saved. Watch this. If I'm here to serve, then maybe what I've got to look for is ways to serve. But I don't know that I want to do something small like that. If you can be faithful over the little things, then you become a ruler over big things. Y'all follow what I just said? See, for me, I never pictured this day in my life as a pastor. 
When I first got saved, I, 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 I had a servant's heart. So what happened was they put me in charge of a small group. They called it the pastoral care department. And I became what they called leaders. Everybody fought leaders over tens. If you follow Moses, Jethro, the whole story, it was leaders over tens, assembly band, movement, pastoral care department. They had all kind of different names for them. But what happened was you started over that when you were faithful over that. Then you, 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 there's a place where you start small and you work your way up. You'll follow what I'm saying? And it's not about starting small to do that. You just serve. Make sure that the motive of your heart's always pure. How do I serve? How do I work? How do I do this? And there's a place where we work our way and, and we serve and we just find that God continues to move and bless. So watch this. Some of you might know if you're part of this house, but when you come up the driveway here, we started in a plaza down there in one little room with about a handful of us. And I was perfectly content to say, well, let's see what God does with that. And I pictured myself as a drywall contractor hiring several different people and hopefully driving around in a truck on the phone while they did all the work and I could make money. That sounded like a good plan. Okay, <laughs> so I did a little of that. Okay, but here's what happened. In the process of all that, God began to move. And we went from one unit to two units. I thought, oh, that's cool. We went from two units to three units. And then we bought this property where you're at now. Then we built a building over there in 2002. Then in 2010, we built the building that you're in now. I don't know what God has in store. I didn't see all this coming. All I know is this. He called me to be faithful over a little group of people down in the plaza. So a dozen years ago, we started out in the plaza, and we loved on some people, and all of a sudden, it started happening. I don't know how it happened. I have people come to me and say all the time, how do you do this? I said, I don't know. You just love people and love Jesus. It kind of works. Okay? I'm convinced if we love God and love people, it'll work. But there's a way where we look around and say, how can I love? How can I touch? How can I bless? What can I do in your life that's going to bless you? I don't want to live a life that says, how can you bless me? I want to live a life that says, how can I bless you? Anybody get that? Because that's what the whole lesson is about today. Servant leadership. It really comes down to this. Jesus their Lord and Master. He says, you call, me, you, you call me Lord and Master, and you say, well, for so I am. Does he say that? So I am. But I'm willing to put on the towel and the basin and wash your feet. Why? Because I want to teach you that we serve one another. Servant leadership. Does anybody get that message? That's like huge. One of the things that I think, which is an identity school, we've talked about identity a whole lot. Do you understand that your identity is to serve one another? Can you imagine what a better place this world would be if everybody was just looking ways to practice random acts of awesome? <laughs> Come on. How do we serve? How do we help? How do we bless? How do we encourage? What are you doing to make the world a better place because you're in it? What if we just went out and loved God and loved people like crazy? I want to raise up a body of believers here that are so walking in their strength that hell's afraid to show up here. Like the devils have, all the demons have a note. Don't go to Abbottstown. It's scary there. (laughs) Yeah. Stay away from there. Yeah. Jesus, teach us what this thing looks like, where we serve one another. 
with pure hearts. It's real. It's love. It's genuine. It's got to be so real in us. Do you get that verse that Jesus says, the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many? Matthew 20. That's huge to me. Don't miss that because he said, follow me. There's a place where we have to ask ourselves, how can we serve? What can we do different? How can we make an impact? Why don't you just bow your head and close your eyes for a minute? Would you do that? The words of Christ were, this is my body. That speaks volumes to me. Because he blessed it, broke it, and gave it. This is my body. He's blessed us to break us, to give us. Don't miss that. I don't think, that's just so powerful to me. He blessed us so that he could break us and give us. I'm broken, I'm not living for me. I'm broken free from my will, free from my desires, free from my agenda. I'm broken to be given. I'm broken for the express purpose of being given. I'm asking you again just to really consider how is your life making an impact in your community? How is your life making a difference where you live? How is your life changing the world around you? Because I got to tell you something, there's a place where we got to live this thing and walk it out. So I'm challenging you, man, just really keep your heart pure before the Lord. Just really keep your heart pure before God and say, God, what can I do? I, I, I so, I, I know I'm blessed. I want to be broken and given. How can I make an impact? Lord, I'm not asking you to change them. I'm asking you to change me. There's a place where I've got to impact the world around me. Father, I just thank you. I thank you for every heart and every life represented in the room by the way of the school and the internet. God, that you would just touch us individually and corporately even right now. May the power of this word so saturate us that we begin to understand and even cultivate servant leadership in our life to the place where we look at our own life and say, how can I serve? What can I do? How can I make a difference? Where's the place, God, where I can step up to the plate and really walk this thing out? Teach me the, ta- the power of the towel. Teach me the power of the basin, God, that I can understand what it is to serve. How can we impact people's lives by serving and touching and making a difference? Teach us what that looks like, Lord. I'm asking, God, that you would help us to walk this thing through in the reality of it, that it becomes so very, very real, that we're not looking at what can they do for me, but I'm looking in my life saying, what can I do for them? How can we do something different? What can we do, God, to make the world a better place, to make our own community, even our own family, even our own homes, God, how can we touch our families in a way that we haven't yet? How can we touch the lives of those that are around us in a way that's different than we have in the past? What can we do different? How's this thing going to look, God? Teach us what it looks like in the big picture scenario. God, I'm asking you, just help us in the midst of this thing. We've got to do this. We've got to get it right. God, I'm asking you, speak to us individually and corporately and help us, Father, that there's a place where we can so live and so walk that we're just seeing ways that we can serve, that we can be the Word made flesh, that we can be a living and walking and breathing Jesus. Teach us, God, I pray, that we can really walk this thing out in the sincerity of it, and others won't even see us, but see the Christ who's in us. God, that we can touch them in a way, Lord, that they'll just know Jesus has entered into the room. God, I'm asking, how do we serve? What can we do different? We've got to impact our community, God. 
I believe, Lord, as you spoke to my heart a long time ago, that we would create a kingdom culture by instilling a kingdom mindset. So teach us what that looks like, that we would instill a kingdom mindset, create a kingdom culture, and impact this community for the kingdom of God. Father, help us to walk this out, that we might live a life that is blessed, broken, and given, because we are your body. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for being with us this morning. Bless you. We'll see you tomorrow. We'll talk about the voice of God tomorrow.